Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Temperatures set to hit 14 degrees for St. Patrick's Day, they're saying. So at least that's something nice to look forward to. Thursday should have a mainly dry day with uh, some good sunny spot. A bit of a, one or two showers early, but shouldn't be too bad at all. Hopefully it won't rain on your parade. But Putin continues to rain on everybody's parade. And his bombs and his killing uh, and his mayhem and his war and his bloodshed moves further and further west, closer and closer to uh, the Polish border. So Putin moves his war closer to NATO borders, and everybody getting touchy-feely about that. The Western Front is a headline making the the star today. Russia targeting military bases near the Ukrainian-Polish uh, border. We've got more on that in a few minutes' time with uh, uh, a man who's over there with his with his wife, uh, originally English, uh, Alan, but spent an awful lot of his life down in, in, in West Cork. Putin blitz on NATO border, uh, base bombed 17 kilometers from the Polish border is the headline making the sun today. The West is in his sights, says the mirror today. And of course, the uh, targeting uh, of a military base over the weekend uh, killed 35 people, men, women and children and injured uh, hundreds more. So that's the front, ma- front page of making the mirror today. And we were chatting last week on the air with Rona Murphy, uh, the chief, the group chief executive of Smart Tech 247. And he was telling us on air that we also won't be outside of the sights of the Russians with regards to cyber attacks. And of course, uh, there was Russians behind the cyber attack on the HSE and that cost 120 million euro uh, to resolve the cyber attack on the HSE last year. Well, um, he also talks with the Mail this morning and says much of the same thing, that Ireland is a target for more cyber attacks from, from Putin. But buried away inside in the mirror is a very short article saying that Vladimir Putin may have lost the plot because of roid rage, not road raid, but roid rage caused by steroid treatment for cancer. This is a claim that's being made that he's going through uh, treatment for cancer and some of that treatment involves steroids and it's just played havoc with his head and his logic or lack of it leading to roid rage. Uh, Cork volunteers continue uh, to drive with aid into Ukraine, not to mention the others who go as far as the Polish border and hand it over. And amongst them, of course, Katrina Toomey, who I hope to have a chat with in, in a few minutes' time. But Ireland's humanitarian response um, is much more important than checking people's security clearance uh, on arriving uh, from the Ukraine. According to Michal Martin, he says that it's become a war economy now. Um, Ireland is becoming a war economy in more ways than one. He's not just talking about refugees coming to Ireland in that regard. It's just everything else that happens to be going on in the perfect storm. So our humanitarian response is more important than checking the security of those that are coming here, he says. And our, our COVID funding is going to be used now to help the 100,000 plus refugees who could well come here. We've got a 4 billion euro fund, apparently. He's saying that the government will use part of that bill. It's like a contingency fund. All of these different rainy day funds would usually be there for health services and education and, and housing. Some of that will be moved out of those areas and given directly uh, towards helping uh, refugees. But, you know, one thing that they haven't managed to upgrade, update or replace is the government Learjet. It's a 2004 Learjet. It's coming to the end of its life, apparently, and it's no longer Reliable. It's unreliable. A bit like the politicians that it carries around on board. Unreliable. So instead of using that anymore, now they're renting private jets. And apparently they've been renting um, a 2008 
registered, uh, what is it again? It's a CJ3 business jet, a Cessna citation. And that's what Micheál Martin is being flown around on at the moment. And um, he travelled to England for several days of functions for the St. Pat- for St. Patrick's Day. He's going to Washington now, so you have to do the other ones early, don't you know? So those kind of trips around the UK cost €15,000 to hire this private jet while our own government, Learjet, is probably going to end up on... Where would you Where would you shift that? Dundeal? Is it? I mean, maybe they should give it to Dominic Daly. He can sell all sorts of things like that. He sells islands. He sells naval vessels. I don't think there's any reason why old Dom wouldn't be able to sell the Learjet. But there's an extra, you know, and never mind about the fuel that goes into it. But with regards to fuel allowance, the Echo this morning says, you know, we have all of the, you got the 200 for your ESB, and then you get the fuel allowance from people on different social welfare packages and schemes. Well, people on some of the uh, social welfare schemes are going to get an additional 125 euro uh, fuel allowance. But Jerry Buttermer makes the papers today. I'll chat with him later. He's on the front page of the Irish Times. He says that we should be concerned about the spread of COVID at various St. Patrick's Day celebrations. I hope I'm not misquoting him. If I am, he'll correct me later on. But he is saying that the compulsory wearing of masks in shops and on public transport should be reintroduced in light of increasing COVID cases and hospitalization. So more on that a little later on, that we're running before we can walk, I suppose. Uh, A lot of other things have taken off, actually, since much of the relaxation of COVID regulations, and that is the amount of money being spent in the pubs. The Mirror this morning says 1.6 million is being spent every day in pubs, a 1.6 million a day um, um, bar bill. So I don't know what it was, you know, two years ago or three years ago, whether it was significantly higher or lower than that, but 1.6 million a day. I know the thing that's on the increase as well recently, and um, that dropped during COVID and it's rising again, is sexually transmitted diseases, SDIs. And that's the story from the Echo this morning. But I should have mentioned this when I was mentioned people's bar bill. Apparently, um, more women like a gin and tonic than any other drink. I think they're actually saying to us, mind you, it's a poll by a gin club, so you would imagine that gin club would say that they're the most popular. If a wine club came out, they'd probably find that, you know, wine o'clock is the most popular drink. But for women anyway, apparently 40% of them go for a gin and tonic, and apparently they also prefer lemons to limes. I think that makes sense. Uh, Whatever you're having yourself, don't get me wrong, but traditionally it would be lemon in the gin, wouldn't it? And and, um, sometime between five o'clock and six o'clock, if you don't mind, is the best time to kick back and enjoy a gin and tonic at home with a slice of lemon. Papers also this morning uh, talk about the optimum number of... Have you seen everybody now, right? It's the 10,000 steps a day challenge. It's a bit like, you know... Eat carrots because it's great for your eyesight. That was a lie that was made up year back in the war days by the British where they, you know, wanted more people to grow carrots and kids to get involved in growing vegetables. So they told the kids, you'll never see a rabbit with glasses. If you eat your carrots, it's good for your eyes. Well, this 10,000 steps a day is just an old ad campaign that was brought out years ago by a Japanese company that were making wrist pedometers. So that's how they were marketing them. You know, get our pedometer, put it on your wrist, walk 10,000 steps. The actual proper number is anywhere between six and 8,000. So you've been doing too much. 
you need to back off to 10,000. If it's somewhere between 6 and 8, 7,000 a day will do you just fine. The Neil Prenderville Show. And you can text 0868104106. And tomorrow, of course, we got the start of Cheltenham. Please tell me it is tomorrow. It is tomorrow, yeah. So we'll have tips and Jordan is working on the tips for Cheltenham. And we'll have a bit of fun with that over the next couple of days. And on Wednesday, our last day before St. Patrick's, uh, we'll have some great Irish music of different shapes and forms just to entertain you on Wednesday at a Patrick's Day. And it's great to have uh, some uh, celebrations back and festivities back and parades back right across the country. But of course, here on Side. Now, last night I caught up uh, with uh, Alan, uh, Alan Ahern. He's in Lviv. Um, now, we all know of more and more movement of the Russians across, um, you know, uh, Ukraine from east to west. Now, he's a very interesting story himself because he's an Englishman who uh, spent an awful lot of his life living down in Bantry and in Kalekil, and he married a Ukrainian woman and then went to Ukraine to settle down and live with him. Uh, and he's been in touch with me over the past few weeks with regards to events in Ukraine, but it was hard to get a line into him because over the last week or so, you know, the way it is with regards to WhatsApp, um, mobile phone technology comes and goes, signal comes and goes, but I did manage to get a call in with them uh, last night. Uh, this is uh, Alan Ahern. Yeah, I think we are having some problems this morning on Mo's but I have something to do with maybe desk settings. My sincerest apologies. The mortification of it. I'll come back after the break and see if we can reset all this. Neil's got a new number. Call him now on 0818104106. How are things going there in western Ukraine? Uh, it's a strange situation, as you can imagine, Neil, um, especially after last night's events in uh, Yavariv, which is uh, actually west of here. Uh, prior to then, all the... Uh, activity, if you want to call it that, has been to the eastern side of the country and the southern side. Uh, two nights ago, they, there were attacks in Ivano-Frankish and in Lutsk. Yeah. Both, we understand, on uh, military airfields. And last night in Yavariv was a uh, military training college. So, for us here in Lviv, things are getting a little bit more worrying now, okay. you know? Okay, can you... Okay, no, uh, yeah, I know that because the bombings now and the attacks are moving further west and closer to the Polish border, you're probably aware that NATO and the USA are getting very touchy-feely about that, yeah? Well, I hope so, because, you know, I mean, the point of, the point of it is we're just looking at the whole situation. Uh, obviously, Putin has been accusing America of having biolabs in, uh, in Ukraine. Yeah. True or not, who knows? You know, we, we never really know the full truth. But it's almost as a cover to start using chemical weapons. You know, he can use chemical weapons and blame it then that they hit a biolaboratory and released all whatever they were doing. I know, I know. Also, he has Chernobyl, um, and he uh, is looking at, I think there's another big nuclear power station near Mikolaev. If he gets the nuclear power stations... He can release radioactivity, and of course, uh, there's a rumor going around that he's stockpiling, uh, stockpiling dead Ukrainian soldiers, shipping them up to Chernobyl, and then uh, releasing uh, radioactivity and blaming it on a Ukrainian terrorist attack. Oh, really? Is that is that true? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's a rumor that is happening. Um, you see, we don't know what's true or what's fake news anymore. Well, I mean, of course, you, of course no, yeah. nobody does. Of course yeah. not. Yeah. But, I mean, the, the implication of that is, as you know, maybe if you know about the Chernobyl disaster, the Ukraine wasn't badly affected by it in reality. Uh, the worst of the uh, fallout was over Belarus 
understand, into Russia as well. But t- now, if that happens again, yeah. it gives him an excuse. Then, okay, you know, Ukraine have attacked us uh, with nuclear. They've released the nuclear radioactive material into our country. So who knows where that would lead. It's being a bit sensationalist, maybe, but we're just worried about these things because the guy is clearly unhinged. Clearly. I mean, (laughs) mean, one one understands that the Russians themselves believe it has to do with uh, freeing areas of Ukraine that are very pro-Russian with an awful lot of Russian people. uh, And that's what they think this is about and no more. But, of course, we we see the devastation of the bombing of hospitals, schools, orphanages, short of food, two and a half million plus refugees leaving the country. It's, it must be hard to believe this is happening. Well, in Lviv, it is a bit surreal, to be honest. I mean, I'm watching what you're watching on the news and, and what have you. Obviously, I watch uh, Irish news, British news. Um, uh, my Ukrainian is not great, so I can't understand very much of what's been going on on the Ukrainian television. Although the, the Ukrainian television is a little bit more graphic in many ways, uh, they show a lot more. Um, but, yeah, it all started, let's face it, this all started 30 years ago when mm. Ukraine voted for independence. Mm. Uh, from the Soviet Union and it was uh, something that nobody really thought would happen Uh, and Putin since that day has always had no regard for Ukraine whatsoever I mean you've you've heard him quote he doesn't even consider Ukraine to be a country Can you hear any of the bombings? Can you hear any of the sounds? Because it's only 30 kilometres away No? Well, last night uh, we were asleep in bed here and the sirens went off at half past three. Obviously, with modern technology now, they, they, they've got these alerts on your smartphone, so that starts claxing in a way. And we went down to the basement with lots of other people that live in our uh, in our development. We, we live in a small development of five uh, apartment buildings, but not tower blocks. The, the biggest one is six stories high. There's a central courtyard. It's a very nice uh, place to live. There's a car park underground, and there are basements underground. So we went down there for three hours last night till half past six this morning. We have heard nothing um just then we got the the all clear and that was it yeah know, back but yet, upstairs and try and get some sleep yet in a town uh, so we yet in a town not, yet in a town not too far away from you like from where i am to bandon uh, dozens of people died and hundreds were wounded Absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I'm working with a hospital, uh, and I, I was talking to them this morning, and uh, I know that a lot of the wounded were taken to uh, Yavariv Hospital, which filled up fairly quickly. Yavariv is not a very big place. Uh, and I know this afternoon I spoke to uh, somebody in the hospital, and they said ambulances have been arriving this afternoon with wounded. Now, I, I, I have nothing to do. I'm not a medical person at all. I'm, oh, I'm I know, but to men, women, get, uh, children are dying. You're... Oh, yeah, I mean, it's a horrible situation. And of course, we're in a situation here where we are worried that Ukraine, uh, sorry, that uh, Lviv is going to be on the list as well. Now he's proven that, you know, we're within range of his missiles. Who knows what's going to happen? Um, the yeah, yeah, and that's, a, that's an ongoing worry because you're seeing it on the television and wondering, is our city and our towns next here on the west coast of Absolutely. in western Ukraine? Your, your job is to gather medical aid, I think. I've been sent pages and pages of the medical aid that you're looking for. Is any of that getting that's through? Right, because yeah. is, any of the, oh, yeah. is any of the aid getting through? It must be at this stage. Yeah, yes, it is. There's a little bit of a, log- a little bit of big lead, uh, logistics problem. I mean, the, the, watching what is happening around the world and the way people are um, 
looking at Ukraine and the, the generosity of people is incredible. So many convoys of trucks and vans and things coming to the Polish border. But yeah. then there's a bit of a bottleneck. Okay. Um, some stuff is not getting through. Obviously, most of it is going to central uh, distribution points. Um, they've probably got too much of some things and not enough of others. I mean, I think many people are sending cuddly toys and all the rest of it. That's great. But, you know, what we really need are medis- medicines, um, medical equipment. Now, I'm, I, I started accidentally with this hospital. A friend of mine is a lawyer and he works at the hospital. And he purely asked me to... Uh, Copy read, proofread some documents he'd had translated to make sure the English was correct. That's right, and I have so them here in front of me. So it's like gauze and dressing and uh, tourniquets oh, yeah, that's and just wadding. Just a small bit of it, yeah. yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I uh, pages uh, of then, it. I really do. Beta blockers, yeah. uh, ibuprofen, glucose. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know what most of it is because very <laughs> surgical well, forceps and tweezers and things. Yeah. yeah. You can imagine this, the hospital I'm working with, uh, just now, my job now is to, uh, try and raise these goods, you know, to try and, I've been emailing pharmaceutical companies, medical supply yeah, companies all I see over it. the yeah, place. I see a so. lot of it is probably, it looks to me like as if it's surgical equipment for surgery, yeah? Absolutely, because the hospital now was a general hospital. Uh, it was emptied, and it's now been taken over. Obviously, all the hospitals operate under the health department. Now, two hospitals in Lviv, one, this one included, have been taken over by the Ministry of Defence, and are, they are now deemed military hospitals. So civilians have been taken out, and this is now uh, being used for wounded soldiers and obviously civilians as I well know, uh, that know, have been wounded. Yeah. So, and it is basically been turned into, rather than a general hospital, it's now been turned into a trauma hospital. You know, these people are coming and they are wounded, they are injured, they need to be helped. Um, there's a guy coming uh, tomorrow into the hospital from a, a charity and uh, his training tomorrow is to teach the doctors and nurses how to uh, what's the word I'm looking for? How to prioritize the cases coming in. Mm. In other words, how to examine wounded quickly and yeah. then say, okay, he's okay. He needs help. He's too gone, whatever it might be. Oh my God. So this is oh the situation God. we're into now. And of course, I was, I was also, I've also seen that civilians themselves are being trained up in handling of weapons, how to make Molotov cocktails. You have experienced Absolutely. that with your wife, haven't you? Yeah, um, okay, we got strong, we, we get messages from the mayor and one of the really, again, surreal. This was maybe two weeks ago. We got, uh, detailed emails of how to use, uh, how to make Molotov cocktails. My wife, while well, I was in the hospital, my wife went to, um, a course held locally here on how to handle firearms. God help, God help anybody that stands in our way, I have to yeah, tell you. Yeah, um, yeah. but now has she said, has she said again, that, has she said that she would use it? Ah, who knows? You know, I mean, it's something she's, she is actually ex-military herself, yeah. but on a, from a, uh, not, nothing to do with, with fighting. She was administration. Um, she's retired now from the ministry. Oh, I know, but the Ukrainians years. are very much fired up with passion, aren't they? They really are. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's incredible to see the, uh, who is my friend, uh, the lawyer I'm talking about. Uh, he showed me his new purchase last week on a machine gun. 
know. sake, you know. I know. I know. Uh, it's unbelievable. But yeah, she was there today. Um, I took her down this morning and she spent the day uh, with other women volunteers uh, making camouflage nets. And tell me, do do you over there hold out any hopes with regards to these uh, peace talks? Like the story, I mean, we're chatting on a Sunday evening. The news is that peace is getting closer and closer, that they're trying to hammer something on both sides. Do you believe in that? Do you hold well, on to that? You hold on to hope. Of course you hold on to hope. Any hope uh, you can. Uh, it just, for my, I mean, I, I'm no historian or whatever. I, I'm no politician, but it just seems that the sides are too far apart in, in what is what, what does Putin want to do? What is his end game? What is he trying to do? Now, he's using the excuse of uh, Nazism and uh, nationalism in Ukraine to uh, put down the native Russian speakers in the Donbass, i.e. Um, Donetsk and Luhansk. It's kind of this moved on from all on. of that, hasn't it, though? I mean, well, it really has. Big time, big yeah, time. Yeah. I mean, in 2014, uh, obviously, they, he annexed Crimea. Um, then Luhansk and Donetsk, the Donbass area, there's been fighting there ever since. And, of course, he's saying that it's the Ukrainians committing genocide yeah, on Russian-speaking yeah. uh, people. But, the, but He the, expected, I imagine, that he would walk into places like Kharkiv and he would be welcomed with open arms. And because Kiev as well. A, a, Kiev, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a strange country. The further east you go, the more... Russian speaking. I won't say pro-Russian. I, I'm Russian speaking. The further west you go, the less Russian speaking. Mm. Ki- um, Lviv is deemed to be the um, cultural city of Ukraine. It has the most Ukrainian culture. It has the highest percentage of Ukrainian national uh, natural speakers, and it probably has the highest percentage of anti-Russian feeling. Mm. I would imagine. Mm. So, if he wanted to down the Ukrainian people, it makes uh, Lviv quite a high target for him yeah Uh, Uh, you you know it's it's moved on a lot yeah yeah i I mean at this stage it's believed that russia is almost a bankrupt country could could that be the turning point the tipping point who knows i'm again no politician no financier but i mean it's got to be hurting hasn't it but i saw a video on youtube was it yesterday morning and it's visible to anybody it's uh, it was a youtube of people uh, being shown photographs in moscow of what's happening in ukraine and half the people are saying that's just fake news this is uh, false that yeah. we wouldn't do that i, I don't believe this is happening I know. I know. um because I know. you only just look at what happens to the media in russia there is no media apart from state state media um yeah so are you going to stay um regardless of what happens you and your ukrainian wife who knows? I mean, you see that the, there are complications there as well. She has an 88-year-old mother that lives right in the city centre yeah. who point-blank refuses to go. Yeah. That is the she's, case she's with a lot of the older generation, isn't it? They just won't leave. Well, yeah, she's 88. She's lived in the same building for 60 more, sixty or more years. Why, where is she going to go? She, she can barely walk. You know, what are we going to do with her? Uh, short of carrying her out and dragging and screaming, what can we do? And, of course, if, if her mother is staying, then Liana is very reticent to leave her mother as well. Oh, my God. Um, oh my God. Oh besides, God. where where do you go? Uh, really, you, where, where do you, you keep go? Heading, you keep heading west to Poland and across the border. Mm. And then where? 
Ireland. <laughs> back to yeah, Bantry. My, back, my, to Kale Kill. back to Kalekill. Back to Kalekill. I mean, hey, I tell you something, I'd give anything right now to be sitting in Collins Bar with a pint in my hand. I know, I can imagine. I can imagine. No shortage of food or anything like that, no, or electricity or power or water. Well, we here we've got everything. The the internet went a bit funny this morning. I was telling your researcher Seamus that yeah. I didn't know whether we'd have internet, but it's it's come back. It's fine. Food. Uh, we stocked up. Uh, personally, we stocked up last week on all the kind of pasta and rice and all tin foods. Um, but with the number of people coming through from uh, the east of the country now, the shops are beginning to look pretty empty. I mean, I went to one big supermarket, it's like a hypermarket, and it looks like a swarm of locusts have been through it. I mean, just empty shelves now. And you can understand why. These people are fleeing. Uh, the roads are jammed with uh, Kiev-registered cars, Kharkiv-registered cars, um, either coming to Lviv because they think it's safe. Many people are now here. Um, everybody's trying to rent places. There's obviously uh, sports halls have opened up and people are staying there and hostels are putting people up. Many are moving on to the border and going then into either Romania or Hungary or Poland. Mm. Um, the situation could change, going back to the start of our conversation, is it safe in Lviv? Well, it has been up to now. Uh, who knows what's going to happen because last night's attack kind of changes things. It's a, a bit, bit too right? close for comfort, yeah. Listen, it's, you know, yeah. it, it's kind of half slow to say it, you know, but try and stay safe. It, it's out of your control, yeah, but yeah. but I mean that really sincerely and perhaps yeah. I might be able to okay, stay in Neil, touch with you in the coming that. days. Not at all. Alan, look after yourself. Yeah. Neil, thank you very much for the call and uh, yeah, okay. thank you to everybody for all the support that we're getting. Okay, um, I know the Ukrainian people are very, very grateful. I can well okay. imagine. Thank you. Mind yourself. Bye, Alan. Thanks, Neil. Bye-bye, Neil. Uh, that was uh, recorded last night. Uh, actually, Alan works for two different hospitals in the Western area of uh, Ukraine and he sources medical aid primarily because I saw a list of all of the medical aid that they're calling out for primarily surgical medical aid things that would be needed in uh, in theater uh, for surgery and what have you and much of it of course will have to do with people who've been wounded uh, with regards to bombs and bullets and that's what he does there um I got a some lovely just this is just a beautiful postcard, actually. And I know we talk of human suffering, but uh, Valerie Foley just wanted to mention one other thing, and that is animal suffering in times of war. And while she says that she wants to extend an immense well done to everybody, everybody involved in the great work they're doing regarding the Ukrainian crisis and this brutal war and its devastating impact on the people of Ukraine and how it's touched the hearts of people all over the world. She says, I'm an animal lover and I worry a lot about the pets that people have left behind them. And I hope you could find out if there is any quantities of pet food making its way to Ukraine in the lorries and vans traveling regularly there. Please do what you can to find out. I will endeavor to find out. I know that food stuff was not a priority to be traveling across Europe. You know, they were saying cash was needed for that. And at the point of the Ukrainian-Polish border, of course, things could then be bought. Whether that included pet food or not, I don't know. But I will find out. But I can tell you one thing. Front page of the Echo, volunteers to return to the border. We are, of course, talking about Cork volunteers, part of the Cork humanitarian aid uh, that went. This is a group of volunteers from Cork Penny Dinners in Cork City, missing persons, search and recovery, and others. And they brought 15 tonnes of humanitarian aid to the Ukrainian, or just inside the uh, Ukrainian side of the Ukrainian 
Polish border. And amongst them was, of course, uh, Katrina, Katrina Toomey. And there's some lovely human interest stories actually attached to uh, their trip, particularly after they arrived. And uh, Katrina joins me by phone. Katrina, good morning. Good morning, Neil. I'm 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 delighted to be able to make contact with you because you have unloaded your supplies at this stage, haven't you? We have, we have and we've shopped. And I suppose just to put Valerie's mind at rest, um, every station uh, along the way at the borders, no matter where, there's piles and piles of pet food, and there's pet food, there's pet tents there for people to bring their pets you know and if they want to even wash them and dry them and they're doing all of that so everything everything is there and a huge amount of food and stuff for them well she'll so, be uh, delighted to hear that thank you for clearing that one up yeah. Valerie Foley will be delighted with it but you know there's some beautiful stories involving your trip one of them has to do with something I read in the Echo this morning as, as you were pulling up to unload all of the aid um, some chap came along who also had gone out at a different time and he knew yeah. you. Tell us about that chap. Oh, we were down in Lejaisk at the Redemptorist uh, setup down there, which is absolutely amazing and again very well run. Everything we've come across there is at precision, you know, it's yeah. really run very well. Yeah. So we were there and we were unloading and the next thing he kind of rounded around by our vans and pulled up and he jumped out and on his jacket like you know to show the Irish um, emblem the flag up in it and he was saying you know and I kind of went to introduce us like and I was saying I'm Katrina and he said I know full well who you are he said seven or eight years ago he said you fed me and kept me alive he said I do know who you are he Isn't said it? and he said I'm after driving all the way down there he said because I heard you were around just to say well done that's amazing like, you know? there must have been at some stage well, in his life when he was in hard times then yeah, and he has his own business now, but to just, you know, and we just stood there like, you know, and he said, and look at us both now, you know, as much as to say, you know, there was a bit of an understanding between us and yeah, he yeah. spoke to all the other lads and, and he had a tremendous amount of aid as well for to bring out. He said he just got a phone call, got it into his head and off he went because he's in the way of doing things like that now. So he was doing exactly what we were doing and um, offloading at various places. Okay. Now, so you 15 tonnes arrived safely and has been passed has on and will package. now be distributed. You you also had yeah. had cash with you. So then you went about we the did. plan to buy things that were needed at source. Tell me about that. Yeah. Well, when we kind of unloaded everything successfully, we knew we had to go shopping. But we had been up to the train station in Tarnoff and you'd have to kind of see this to, to understand it and, and crack off is worse. When people are getting off the trains, there's groups there to meet them. They're taking them upstairs so that they can rest and sleep and then they're moving them into schools and centres so that they can be, you know, they're very well fed at the train station as well. And the pets are well looked after there too. And they're all then moved on into homes or into um, schools and stuff where they can have shelter, have food and um, a shower and look after themselves. And they're kind of all made to feel safe. So that that's that went on and we witnessed that and they're doing an immense job. Could I just ask you about that? Did the scale of that evacuation shock you? Oh yeah, absolutely. And when we were at Medica, we walked along the borders, you know, and we were on one side, they were uh, next to us, right, but there was a fence separating us and all you see was lines and lines and lines of women and children and that was 
awful to look at them because they were really gaunt, they were upset, everything that could be wrong with a person was wrong with yeah, them. Mm-hmm. They were all bit out from crying like you could see yeah. you see it in their face. Nothing and would prepare you for then, that. Yeah. No. And and then they were carrying their children because we found out like we had to ask someone like why haven't they got the buggies or the brands and stuff like that but they, a lot of them couldn't bring them because they, to make room so that everything could go so that was that reason and again there we saw tremendous acts of kindness taking place they, it's like a big huge do you know what it's like now? big monster market full of all different food stalls with hot food for everybody then they have the the, the, the dental part of it the medical part of it the first aid they have stations for people mm. to go with their babies to change their babies and to do all that and they have pet stations as well with an immense amount of food there for them and all the water laid out and, and you see them you know with their cats and their dogs and their bunny rabbits like and right. they're all going up and like you see even the, like the soldiers coming along like petting the pets like you know and trying to but Every child that came across that border, there was volunteers standing there with teddy bears and handing those children teddy bears with big smiles and saying welcome and stuff just to cheer up the children who looked so destroyed, the poor children. I know. They were just sitting on the ground and you could tell they were just flopping because those children had to walk very long distances as well. Sometimes like, you know, two, three, four, five, six years of age and stuff and just to see them it's all wrong it is you all can't wrong. Say yeah, yeah. The, only, the only part of this that's right is, is the way the, the Polish have really stepped up to the market the borders and the way they're looking after people that that's phenomenal we've witnessed soldiers big huge soldiers you know um, doing you know lifting mothers lifting their children lifting their bags and bringing them like, to try to save them one you know an, an extra bit of hardship because the hardship that they're suffering and then I think the last speaker I was listening to him, he said that a lot of these people that are leaving, their parents don't want to leave with them and they're crying for them. They're crying Alan for their said husband. that as well. I'm yeah, hearing a lot of the elderly oh, Ukrainians oh who God, just yeah. don't want to leave their homeland. Yeah. No, they're, they're bawling. Like we spoke to one, to one girl and she, she was on the phone to her mother. And, you know, we, she got us to wave to her mother to prove like that she was kind of safe, you yeah, know, and yeah, yeah. she was so much like if you heard her crying like she was sobbing and her mother was saying to her like it's okay you're safe and she told us what her mother was saying I don't care once you're safe and your child is safe you know and she was but the mother had sisters and had lived there all her life and just didn't want to leave her homeland it's not the first time I've heard that and the kindness of people because you had a couple of grands to spend and you wanted it because there's shortage of baby food and things so you went into a particular shop is that right? we did I I don't know what they call them the Brannick or something like that they're supermarkets so we went in search of that like it was only supposed to be one kilometre from where we are and 20 kilometres later we found them but we got got in there and then we were shopping and the girls that were you know stacking the, the shelves they asked what we were doing because there was a big huge load of us you can imagine all the trolleys and yeah what were you were buying the likes of nappies yeah. and baby food pot noodles I'm reading yeah. the echo this morning pot tin noodles. food soup chocolate yeah. protein bars yeah, yeah. Lo- long life stuff like that but the noodles and the pot noodles are extremely handy because they're kind of like they seem to be universal everybody seems yeah. to eat them yeah. so and, and, and then like as the people at the border were saying all you need is a kettle 
to top up one of them, like you know, so that they can have a hot. It's very practical. Them yeah. Immediately. So yeah. So we we filled up with what they needed, and we got you know the Ribena juices for the you know those special juices for the babies. But do you know all those pouches of smoothies for the babies made of fruit? They're all organic, and you get the meals as well. But they're in a pouch, and you can squeeze them in. We got a rag of them. We bought all what was needed because we asked them what did they need the most and so we went to my shop but the girls asked the lads and Tom speaks Polish like so he explained what we were doing and they all got their discount cards and instead of our first shop like the first shop that we did there should have cost 2000 but it came in at one 1,300 and that was euros like not slotty but um, so it was the women uh, working the, in the shop gave you discount cards is it? Was, yeah. you got they 700 off the then yeah we did yeah we did and and they were thanking us and really like the amount of goodwill towards Ireland was phenomenal everyone that met us that knew we were Irish had a different um you know that they had a, a welcome. Oh, I know. They had, I know. you know, yeah. a thank you, thank everybody. This is just, you know, really loving what you're doing. But I, I said the one thing that we've we've all come back with is every time we come on a sad situation, like the group that I'm with, like you could tell them their heads go down and there's a few tears, like and you have to suck it up and then you have to kind of get in there and see what you can do to help. Yeah, it's very very sad. The I train know. stations are sad. We're going to do another shop today before we leave as well, and but we've built up fantastic connections there, so we should be better. We're better equipped now for the next time round and 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 to to spare ourselves and to do the job more efficiently you know so, so you and, will and, go again yeah. then will you all yeah sure we we will we'll be tied down I suppose when we get to Cork now like you know for saying that we won't be left leave again but <laughs> look Neil there, there's nothing you can they, they need it and they need it badly and anyone that could witness what we witnessed would only go back again I know what you're saying I know I know I know, you know, I know. Yeah, it's, it's just very hard I know very I know. very and and, and to like it tore the hearts out of all the men and everything and they're like all babies all of a sudden like when they're standing over and if you see a child fall like they're jumping down to pick up the child and uh, you know it's just just, the magnitude of it just the scale of it you know but you know to see those mothers and the children yeah and and to see all the people that are you know that are invalids and they're waiting there with wheelchairs for them and they're sitting them in they're lifting them in and they're pushing them and then they're kind of lined up at the side of the road and getting organized for the buses and the way the soldiers are protecting the mothers and the children is another it's unreal the way they have they have lines formed on either side to guard them getting into the bus so when they come over the border they're all come through these lines yeah. and they're put straight into the bus to safety so that nobody gets at them because obviously there'd be opportunistic people there like and, and stuff but they're they're really controlling everything and watching everything and they're taking photographs of everybody's reg and they're they're taking you know people's names and tracking everybody so that uh, they, they, they know where people are going like you can't just walk in and go up and say come on I'll take you the soldiers have that totally under control. Yes, I mean, I'm not going to dwell much on that, but I did hear that there were some scam artists around the border and people have to be very careful. Right up to scam artists trying to take people's aid under false pretenses. So you have to be very careful about that. But you say say that, and this is a quote from the Echo, there is no doubt that lives have been saved and that it's all down to Cork's people's donations. So you'll be asking people to dig deep again then. 
there they really need a lot of medical supplies. When the lads were outside the other night waiting to get into no man's land, and the night before when we were turned back, Anastasia, she's a cardiologist working in the hospital in Lviv, and she was crying and pleading with them to let them in because people were dying in the hospitals and stuff. And she was distraught, absolutely, like we were crying, because she was so distraught and she was begging and pleading. But they, they wouldn't shift, and they were just afraid because of our safety yeah and it, again it took us a long time and for to understand that but it was done the following day but again it meant that the lads were queuing up for about maybe 10 hours in the queue for to get this handover done mm. which was a, a long time to queue up mm. but again you, you you see what's going on you see the people turn down at the side of the road and you do want to pick them all up and you want to make them all safe and stuff and I don't know. We were we were speechless. We cried. We stayed quiet. Then we tried to cheer each other up. You know, uh, all that is going on like a sort of a mix of emotions. And then we have some friends here in Poland who just came with us to to make everything simpler for us. And, mm. and you know, even even there's um, six members of a the family. They couldn't take their cash because in the Ukraine they don't. Um, inject them, uh, vaccinate them, and um, they couldn't take, they can't take their cat with them, they're heading for Ireland to Cove, so the family that were helping us, Jan and Barbara, we were at their house and they have four cats, so I said, what can I do? What can I do? I can only ring them, so I rang them, and um, they, they replied, um, yes, we will take in the refugee re- Ukrainian cat, <laughs> and we'll get the cat then to Ireland. So, like, oh, yeah, wow. Katrina Toomey, the miracle worker. Well done. Well, listen, safe, safe trip home, and we'll talk to you again on Lee's side in the Thanks, next few please. days, all right? And they want to thank everyone in Cork, really. Like, everyone said, thank them, thank them, thank them, yeah. thank them, you know, so... Okay. They really did. Yeah. You're our eyes so and ears, you. so thank, thank you. you for feeding back to me. Look after yourself, Katrina. Talk soon, all right? Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, somebody texting gorgeous morning this morning. You make the most of it. It certainly is a gorgeous day today, and we live in a peaceful country, and we should be thankful for that. It's not without its problems, of course, and there's an awful lot wrong. But at least we're, we're safe. And I know that people even listening to me saying that, saying that, you know, what do you mean? People are safe. They haven't got a roof over their head and they can't afford the rent and they can't buy a house and they can't get into hospital. I know I get all of that. But in the scale of things, Mary Donnelly's got a very interesting story. A yawl woman who actually had booked fl- flight to go to Poznan in Poland. Now, uh, let me pick up on the conversation itself with Mary because it's uh, uh, it's an interesting one in the sense she was going over, I believe, to buy, uh, I, think, I think, cheap cigarettes. Mary, good morning. Good morning, Ian. How are you? Good. Was, <laughs> tell, what was the original reason to go to Poznan in Poland? What was it? Yeah, um, I was just saying Seamus there, Whelan, he just came on before. Yeah. Um, I'm chatting to yourself. And I'm saying, I'm sitting at the kitchen table here now looking at... The few the bits I got because my wife, um, is, she tried to pack them in the smokes, and but you know she succeeded for a bit last year, but then it didn't happen. And so, anyway, um, I was on it was for Saturday night, the eighteenth of February, just gone, and um, I was having a glass of vino here on Saturday night, and I went on the Ryanair app, and yeah. lo and behold, um, there was flights going out of Dublin for forty euro return to Poznan and friends of mine had been over there just about two weeks before that and you know loved it over there and it's a beautiful city and um, so my god I'm going to book this even though my passport was out of date 
So um, did that anyway and got up the next morning and I said, Jesus, I really do that last night. I'll go back into the site again. And then I thought... Was it after like, the vino? Was it after the vino? After the vino. And I'm, you know, the next morning, then, oh, jeez. You need to I stay away. You need to stay away from <laughs> keyboards and flight apps and all sorts of things when you have a few know, jars on I know. board. <laughs> and I generally try and do, you know, I'm normally well behaved. But um, <laughs> on, Saturday, on Sunday morning then, um, I looked at the Ryanair site again and there was flights actually going out from Cork um, for for thirty five euro return, and they were going on the tenth of March, and I, because the other flights were going the third of April, hence that's why I'm going back to third of April. Yeah. So um, that's how I end up booking it. So immediately then panic set in, because I'm going, geez, I'm after booking two flights now, and what am I going to? I've no I've no passport renewed. So I got online on on Monday evening, and believe it or not, I had my passport in the door on Thursday morning. <laughs> Turnaround time of like. Whatever. You're one of the lucky ones, girl. You're one of the very lucky ones. I know, yeah. yeah. But hang on a second, because I'll run out of time all the way. You you're what's your wife what's your wife's name? Phil. So you're enabling Phil to keep smoking rather than helping her to give up by going to Poland to buy her cheap fags. I know, yeah, but you're on the on the back of that then I get a couple of days away and visit beautiful city. I suppose it's it's true love. And how many had you intended to buy? Uh, not loads, like just enough, you know, just to keep her going for whatever. Oh, that's whatever like six months? Smoke. Yeah, and try and ration them to her because it's God Almighty, it's, you know, to go over the 20 a day. Oh, but, um, yeah, yeah, because you're buying her cheap fags in Boland, yeah. that's why. <laughs> <laughs> but when I got over there, I got closer to time, obviously then that was on the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, and things kicked off then on the 24th over there, and I was like, oh, Jesus, right, so this is kind of serious, and... But Poznan is about 400 miles from the Ukrainian border, closer probably to the German border. And um, then Katrina, I was listening to Katrina and her team going over and all that. And I said, right, you know something, maybe I could turn this negative into a positive. Why Why won't I go? I'll be safe enough where I'm going and it'd be interesting to go over there. But I couldn't go there as a tourist and sit on a bar stool and, you know, with all the... The world changed. It certainly did. I would have been yeah. more than embarrassed, but that's just me personally. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I went over anyway and... Would you bring anything like, with you? I had a backpack with me. That was it. And I didn't even book a seat on the flight. And over I went. And I, I brought a high jacket. Thanks, Katrina and Tara O'Connell here in y'all, mm. who donated the woolly hats as well that I handed out over there at the train station to the Ukrainian family. So you did bring things with you, and you intend going back again, I think, do you? I'm going back again, yeah. I brought over, um, Tara donated woolly hats. She was selling a bit of stuff online, and she had hats left over, and I brought them over with me. And I went to the train station on the Friday morning and waited for the first train that came in from um, Ukraine, and the place that was absolutely jointed. Oh, my God. And... Yeah, and I was talking to a guy over there who's actually living in Ireland, but he's Polish. Um, has been living in Ireland since he was two, and he was in his twenties. But he said that it's never been like this, you know. And if people want to go on my Facebook page, um, you'll see I've taken a, a shot going down the escalator of the crowds of Redford. And then when the train pulled in, I mean, it was just chronic, massive crowds of people. Okay, ho- hold that thought. Hold that thought, will you? Because we'll okay. finish the conversation directly after ten, rather than rushing it at this stage. Because I know you're going back again, and we'll probably be looking for some help with uh, the generosity of Cork people. Back after ten. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from four for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features, and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from four. Dave Max Drive. 
104 to 106 Red FM. This is the Neil Frienderville Show. And you can text 0868104106. Just back to Mary Donnelly. Just finished the conversation from before uh, 10 o'clock this morning. So, where were we? You were helping people at the railway station and then you were helping people with, uh, uh, as they were trying to get refugees across Poland and over to Europe and some of them, of course, over to Ireland. And is it your intention not to go back again? Um, I'm going back, yeah, hopefully to Poznan on the 3rd of April. I have the flights booked, so I will be going back there. And um, so what I did over there was on the Friday was, first of all, to make my way to the railway station. And oh, there was no internet there, only I had Wi-Fi at my apartment or if I went into a cafe. So it was a nightmare on the street to try and get Google Maps and everything. And a lot of the Ukrainian people I spoke to had to end up, the first thing they had to do was to buy a phone over there to, yeah. to get connected, like, and phone homes. Yeah, they were also, but, they're um, also giving out SIM cards and mobile phones yeah, to yeah. refugees. Yeah, You said they were smiling but broken, mostly women and absolutely. children. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely smiling but broken, yeah. And uh, Katrina said that as well. And, you know, they're such a warm race. They're really, really lovely people. And I think that's why I've got to meet so much. That they're so like the Irish. Mm. Um and I always feel that people who have such compassion for animals and everyone at this stage knows the Ukrainian people and their pets and going back into the country to rescue the pets and come back out and everything, it's, it's just, yeah, that know. tells a lot about a person. For me, anyway, I think, you know, they're a really nice, honest, genuine person. And yeah. these people are. And they're so, everyone you meet, like, you say, and you came from Ireland to help us? They couldn't believe it. Like, yeah, yeah. I say, yeah, we would. And... There was, on Saturday there, I was trying to take a selfie of myself with a Ukrainian flag and I couldn't handle it. And this large family of Ukrainians came along, was probably eight or nine members, all from one family. And um, the grandparents and everything with them. And they took the photograph of me. They took that actual photograph of me. And they were so overjoyed that somebody came over to help them, you know. And I said, yes, people in Ireland. I was telling them about Katrina's convoy and stuff and the stuff coming over, you know. So, and they were just so grateful and so genuine. And mm-hmm. I helped a lot of people then just what I did on, on, on Friday. Yeah. Friday, I went, found my way to the World Trade Center over there, which is doing great work. And about five minutes walk away. Did you go to help day. out, is it? I helped out, yeah. went down there and basically pulled. It's a massive, big warehouse. And then in the center, it's all set up for when the um, Ukrainians come in. And it's basically the only way to describe it, Neil, is like a car boot sale where, you know, it's just all stalls and stuff laid out and there's nappies and the shoes, there's clothes, there's whatever you need, food yeah, stuff and all of yeah, this. Yeah. Then in the middle then, there the guys just drag up the big pallets of boxes that have been donated. So you just open up all the boxes, go through them. And what we were doing was sorting all the different nappies and wipes and what they need, what they need, a huge demand that they need over there is women's um, sanitary products. Yeah. And also um, elderly people in continents had that that kind of stuff as well. Um, um, food stuff, obviously. Then there was a lot of baby food stuff and uh, all tin products, like Katrina was saying, and packaged. You know, something tins of food that they can open and eat straight away, and that. And but um, you I wouldn't have thought two or three weeks ago that you'd be doing this in Poland. No, I didn't. No. I didn't. But no. I, you know, I'm type person. I'm always kind of helping people out, and I spent eight years working in a nursing home and just helping in the kitchen there. But I used to spend my days chatting to the residents and stuff like that, and I loved it. And I know, you know. I know. So you yeah. hear stories from other people, for example, you say, "Geez, I'd love to do something like that." So when I turned sixty last September, I said, "Right, if I'm going to do it, I better get get the skates on." But over there, I spoke to this family on. Um, so Friday I was working in Trade Centre and then I was there Friday and Saturday evening as well. But Saturday 
I was able to get my bearings a bit and I was able to walk around. So I walked into town, which is about half an hour. But all the way along, you can see the families walking and you know they're Ukrainians because they have the oversight, these, these blue bags that were being handed out so they could carry kind of like towels and blankets and trolls and stuff like that. And they, these were, you, these were the refugees on the march. Yeah, 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 yeah the yeah. Ukrainian people. So, um, you know, all over the town after coming off the trains and all that and they, they all just want to go back home. And, you know, the, like I know people are talking about, oh, just being an influx of refugees and that, but every, they, all, they all just want to go back home. You know, that's back to where they are. Ultimately, they want anywhere. to go home. Yeah, yeah ultimately, yeah. they want this to go home. This is not a journey they want to be making. But um, I spoke with this just when I came out on Saturday morning and I came up from the restaurant and I was heading up to, there's a street, a big uh, main street about a shopping street. I called it Grafton Street. Hmm. <laughs> so I was heading towards the Grafton Street and just outside this cafe, there was a young girl there with surrounded with bags sitting there. So just as I passed, I looked, and I was wearing the high beach jacket just to make it to, so I could stand out a bit to look like, look, I'm here to, to, to help, help or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you approach people, they're not too kind of scared. So yeah, I, I you have the jacket. Yeah, I, yeah. Hi, I said, I'm, I'm Mary. I said, I come from Ireland. I'm here to help the Uranian, Ukrainian people. And I said, are you from Ukraine? And she was a bit nervous, and she said she was. But I sat and spoke to her for about an hour and a half, and she was waiting for her mother to come. They had, they had arrived about two days before that and they had a, they had a, um, an apartment to stay in for those two days. But then they were moving to a different apartment that night and meeting up with friends of theirs in Poznan. So my God, talking to the, that young girl who was probably early 20, her name was Marja, which is Mary, actually, in Ukraine. And her mother was Lana. So Marja was telling me that <clears throat> they had spent six days solid inside in their car traveling because mm. they came from they lived right on the Russian Ukrainian yeah, border. Yeah, yeah. Six days. So they had to spend that length of time. They built their dream home a year ago, which was just outside on the main road heading for Moscow, at the edge of a forest. An absolute dream home, beautiful. It took them years to get the money together and they built this. They've now left it. And the, the likelihood is they won't they can't they won't go back to it. They don't know if it'll be there when they get back. If they, they, they ever don't do know if it'll be there when it's back. But on the worst side of that, she was telling me about her boyfriend, and her boyfriend was well, along with he he has five, just five in total, five sons. So himself and four himself and three of his brothers were born in Russia, and moved to the Ukraine when he was seven years of age. So they all have Russian passports. And his youngest brother was born in the Ukraine, so he's the only one with a Ukrainian passport. So they're all going into hiding now. And she showed me photographs of him, of all the brothers, wrapped up and blankets over and frozen with cold in the back of a truck and trying to escape within the country. There's probably no... They will have an awful job to get out of there. Mm. And there's plenty of people like them as well in the same situation. They'll have a problem because <laughs> they have Russian passports, is it? Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Because if they're caught by the Ukrainian army, at the very least, they'll probably be thrown into jail. If they're caught by the Russians, they'll be probably forced to wear a uniform and go out and kill Ukrainian people. I know. You know, when you were saying there that some people are a bit nervous chatting, is it because there are chances out there as well trying to take advantage of them, do you think? Probably. They could be. They've, they've gone through horrendous. Like, you can imagine six days in a car, you know, traveling and then queuing for hours. And for every moment, and a moment is shorter than, than a second. They were sitting there wondering, because the Russian people were coming up and the Russian soldiers were attacking people in their cars. And I'm going to use the word attacking now and you know what I mean by that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we do and know. We do know that we shot. We shot it, yeah. and we know that they shot yeah. at one particular Ukrainian family yeah. uh, and killed a and child what, in the car. Yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of that. Um, 
she was telling me, like, and as well as that, the Ukrainians are the type of people where you don't just have mommy and daddy and the two little kiddies. You have mommy and daddy, you have both sets of grandparents, you have the sons, you have brothers, the whole lot, and yeah. they're all sheltering together. So if yeah. they get attacked and hit by the Russians, you're wiping out the entire know, family. And but, are you home now, Mary? I'm at home, yeah. yeah. Back in y'all here now. And the plan yeah. is to go back on April 3rd, is it? Yeah, back on April the 3rd. And um, Phil's niece is a nurse, and um, she's gone to, she told me last night she wants to come with me now and come out. And she's done humanitarian work before now. She went to Belarus when she was only 18 okay. years of age. Okay. Fantastic. Like, so she, she wants to come. And uh, I put up on Facebook yesterday that flights are really cheap at the moment going out from um, Dublin and Cork every week that you can go out for like 40 or return. I got an absolutely beautiful apartment over there for three days off, as I say, Grafton Street. Are you suggesting people should go out, out to help? Is I it? think, yeah. Do you know okay. what? If you can at all, go over there. And even if all you do is walk along the streets and talk to the people, hug them, tell them that you're there from that there's support, tell them where the trade centre is, tell them to go down there. I directed a lot of people down to the trade centre. And they went there, and there was a brave crowd down there. I'm not well, saying to you. No, but fair play to you. But every no, little listen, bit has said you did your bit. Time. You did your bit. Yeah, you and, do your bit. Like. And if you need any help before that with regards to whatever fundraising you might be doing or collections you might be doing, will you let us know? I will do. Now, uh, do you know what? I'm scared in my life of, of money or anyone sending send me money. I've had a few people ask me, um, Neil, simply the cash over here now. So, um, well, you could always just give it to Red Cross, whatever you get, you know. What I'm going to do, Red Cross, or put them in the direction of Katrina. Yeah. Or yeah. If, if people want to as well, I've said to get in touch with the World Trade Center in Poznan. Okay. Because that's what they're doing fantastic work over there at the moment. Okay. And directly going to the source. I actually spoke to a government person over there the other day. I was looking for directions because I went into this place where I could see the Ukrainian flags and it was right beside the train station. So I said I, I was here to, I have you know, woolly hats I want to hand out and stuff as well and just make a donation. I want to find out about charities. And they said, so I asked this police woman, and I didn't realize she was actually a bodyguard. <laughs> this a government official, this woman, this very glamorous looking woman, and there was two police officers standing by this woman. So they said, oh, this is um, Elena or something was her name. And she's from the government. She's here, you know. So I spoke to her and I said, look, I want to find out the names of charities where I said 99% of people are going to donate goes directly to the source. Mm. I don't want, basically, a fat cat CEO getting a couple of thousand out of this. Yes, yeah, Every yeah, day I yeah. said, you, you have to get paid some bit. And she said, I can assure you, she said, you'll get 100% of what's donated, she said, will go to where it's supposed to go. I said, well, that's fantastic. So I spent about five or ten minutes talking to her. She gave me her card, so I put out my hand to shake her hand, and she had such a limp handshake. I just go, and I am one of these people, if you don't have a strong handshake, I'm having my doubts about you. You have your doubts so I just kind on of the basis politely, of took her card and I walked away, yeah, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> so well, then, well, I think your your return trip will be to help as best you can with regards to, oh, to help as best movement I can, of people. Yeah, absolutely, so I might, yeah. get a, I might yeah. get an opportunity to chat with you again when you're back there. How about that? Absolutely, yeah. All right. Great news, okay, yeah. Yeah, all right, yeah, Mary. Well, listen, lovely to chat and well done for your Thanks own intervention out there. Thanks so Thanks much. Stay in touch. Take care. Okay, thank you. Mary Donnelly and you all doing her bit. You can text 0868104106. We got uh, text and emails after the break. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0868104106. Uh, wide, Red FM. Wide selection of texts and emails from uh, last week's programs on a lighter note, well actually not so lighter note, let me start by saying this the, dis- the disparity in prices for petrol and diesel is all over the place, right across the weekend there's a petrol station out Ovensway where it's 173, it's probably in and around Lissarda Ovensway, it's a petrol station out there with 173 for unleaded and then you move along, then 
you come into the city and the suburbs and areas around uh, other parts of the country and it's upwards of two euros. So a shop alone, um, just a re- just a shop within our own locality for say unleaded, it's the difference of 27 cent a, a litre. I mean, it's nuts. Somebody sent me a bit of a cartoon caption saying, you know, they talk about it's a photograph of somebody filling up with petrol saying, sweating when filling up, feeling sick over prices, you're suffering from the coronavirus. As opposed to the coronavirus, it's the car owner virus. That's the only lighter thing that I can think of to say about that. Because in the real world, Brendan says, I'm sitting here in my bed with no heating on. I paid 1,700 euro for kerosene on the 12th of March. Hence the reason for the fuel ration. I finished work, yes, 1,700 euro. Uh, I finished work yesterday in the CUH to find that diesel and petrol had risen within hours at many four courts in Cork City and Council County. Prices were the same for 99% of the four courts. I rang six different garages, not a single manager available. Um, They're only there Monday to Friday, they tell me. Very convenient. Uh, I rang just to chat about prices. Three garages refused to comment, while others gave me wishy-washy answers with regards to why prices were all over the place. Uh, Three stations said that no deliveries were made within a 24-hour period. Some of them dropped their extortionate prices and then jacked them back up again using the same fuel, I believe. I have now formally complained to the CPCC, but I know my complaint won't go anywhere. I hope you get to read this out. Unfortunately, though, I feel that many motorists aren't interested or perhaps feel that it's a hopeless exercise. But I think these companies and forecourts should be held accountable for their price gouging. Keep up the good work, says Brendan. Um, other one saying, it surprises me to hear and read about pension poverty. A caller to your show said he has constant sniffles because of the cold that he has to endure. I've had others uh, on the pension say they can't afford meat. I'm 69 years old and I received the basic non-contributory pension. I have money to spare at the end of the month. And at the end of the year, I have significant savings. I'm obliged to ask, therefore, what are these people on pensions actually spending their money on? I have delicious vegetarian meals every day, which I buy in supermarkets for six euro. Twice a week, I have fish, which also costs six euro. I buy my coffee bags in supermarkets, which work out at 33 cent a cup of coffee. I am by no means a skinflint. If I have a medical appointment at a hospital, I can easily afford a taxi. I lived in the US for 30 years and the Irish pension is 450 euro more per month than a pension in America. I couldn't be more pleased with my quality of life. I don't drink, I don't smoke and I could easily afford a monthly donation to St. Vincent de Paul. Thank you for your wonderful show. You do a lot of good, says Paddy in Shandon, who has no understanding at all of people who are suffering from pension poverty because he's not. He's a savvy shopper, though. I will tell you that, a savvy shopper. It seems that renting, this is a figure that came out last year. Thank you, Anne. She says, it seems that renting over 30 years amounts to €300,000 in Ireland. The same price as a house. Uh, My email was spurred on by the fact that less than 10% of rentals now in Ireland, as far as I know, actually allow HAP. So where are the poor people going to live? It's time that Build to Live arrives and that we start to look down the road at this stage. Doesn't it make sense to own half a house than never even owning a room? That room to rent scheme for homeowners is amazing. Uh, to reduce costs because it's better than house sharing, renting forever. Now, I can't quite follow all of that email, to be honest with you. I'm not up to speed and 
much of the changes with, uh, you know, um, renting rooms and what have you and what people are being charged. But it is true to say that 30 years of rental amounts to 300,000 and that equates to a 30 year mortgage. Uh, so keep those texts coming. Text 0868 104 106. And one interesting one uh, by email, which will lead, lead me along nicely is I see, Neil, that you have decided to completely ignore the surging cases of COVID. As of today, Friday, we have 16,000 cases of COVID, almost 900 people in hospital with it. God knows how many people are sick, but are not reporting it because they have to go to work because the pup payment is gone. You should inquire within the health system just how sick people actually are. This government put us all at risk by opening everything up too quickly. Masks should have been remained. Health officials and doctors were saying it, but nobody listened, including yourself. You talk of it no more. Please don't read out my details. No doubt you will have the military wing of the anti-maskers and vaxxers onto your show if you read this out. Immune-suppressed people, the elderly and the young, are still getting very sick. Uh, But sure, I suppose, we'll be told to curtail our activities like we always were. The immunocompromised, compromised, the elderly and the young. And that's from Tony by email to neil at redfm.ie. There's 41 in ICU. It is way, way down from the 100 plus that we would have had in January. You are right. There are over 900 people in hospital. Yesterday's weekend figure actually was 957 of people in hospital. You wouldn't necessarily say from COVID, but you would definitely say with COVID. And there's a big difference between the two. But I mentioned that actually because I think that email that I just read out is an email that Fine Gael Senator Jerry Buttimer would 100% agree with. Uh, that we're not out of the woods yet and we move too fast. Jerry, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Uh, are you s- Patrick's week? And you too. Are you saying that or am I, am I kind of misquoting you that we move too no, fast I- too soon? I think what I'm saying, no, first of all, is that you are right. The, the number of people in ICU is stable. The number of hospitalizations has increased, but it's, it's kind of linked to COVID. And, but the, the big worry that I have and that have, has been expressed to me is the rise in cases in the general population, which is leading to immunocompromised, vulnerable people like the elderly uh, contracting COVID, um, and in particular in our nursing homes, but also... Uh, my, my fundamental point, Neil, and if you listen... It to is, like is that Nixon, the compulsory wearing of masks in shops and public transport should be reintroduced? I, I'm, I, I'm slow to, to, to ask for anything to be mandatory because, like you, we all crave the freedom. We all had two years of restrictions. We all understand that we want to go back to a new normal and go back to things that we like doing. And the masks are one part. The World Health Organization, Neil, have a very simple message to all of us. It's about vaccination mitigation. Masks are a help. If you look at just last week in America, the TSA uh, recommended the mask wearing continuum public transport. So my, my fundamental point is we were, I think we were premature in, in getting rid of the mask wearing in public transport and retail. Uh, I thought we should have kept it going a while. We've seen an increase in respiratory illnesses in the last couple of weeks given the bad weather. Um, and, and from talking to GPs and people across Cork and, and other parts of the country, uh, there is a concern that, that there is a rise in the number of cases. Uh, yeah, hospitalizations are up, but they're not necessarily yes, up with COVID, though. There's other seasonal ailments that people are suffering and, from. And, and, and that's my point. So the other point I'm making then is, and it goes back to your previous texter's remark uh, in his comment, because people are getting COVID, they're no longer able to go into work. It's having an impact on work and the workforce. But for me, it's about ensuring that masks reduce the spread. I, I don't believe we have a credible argument against mask wearing. 
I'm not in favour of mandatory anything because I'm a civil libertarian and I accept we all need to have freedoms. But I think removing the, the, the restrictions and look, you had many a call on your show and you've many a segment. We, we all rejoiced at the positive symbol of the removing of restrictions. Uh, but I think in the case of mask wearing, it, it's one that we should keep, should have kept longer um, because the vaccinations have worked. Our, our, our percentage of people with vaccines is, is higher than mm. most in Europe, mm. but we have a considerable number still who are not vaccinated. And my other point, Neil, that I made was that we should be resuming uh, a vaccination um, messaging advertising campaign to try and entice people who are not vaccinated to become vaccinated because there are people who are unvaccinated who are in difficulty there are people who are getting COVID who have been vaccinated I accept that uh, but the pandemic hasn't gone away and you know, no I know that and numbers are up again and I see that China's uh, gone into some kind of lockdowns and there is a new variant going around but still in all the less severe Omicron is keeping ICU numbers low so absolutely and, and let know, me say this Neil I'm not being a killjoy. I'm not saying we should be mandatory. What I'm saying is that masks were a mitigation. They are a mitigation. Uh, if you talk to healthcare professionals, just this morning on News Talk, Jack Lambert from, from the matter was on, people like Kingston Mills and others, they're, they're talking about, you know, keep face coverings, keep masks. And, and, and I just thought that in our case, we should have kept them with longer. People kind of are though, aren't they? It's not as if everybody's thrown their mask away. I still see them in supermarkets. I still look into buses and see people wearing them. But, but my, my point to you is why, why couldn't we have kept them in public transport for a while longer? I mean, the, the, the NBU or, or Dermot, Dermot O'Leary was for keeping masks for a long time more. Uh, in the workplace, I think we have them in our hospitals, we have them in our healthcare settings. We should keep them just for, I think, a while longer. We're heading, this is March, we're heading kind of into the better weather, April, May. I, I, didn't, I didn't see anything wrong with keeping them until maybe the middle of April after Easter when the weather was getting better and you had less, you, you know, impact of... of you don't see St. Patrick's Day celebrations as a problem, do you? Or the parade? You're not calling on people to stay away or anything like that? No, anything, anything but. Uh, I'm asking people to take, to take caution in terms of, you know, parades and... No, because it's predominantly outdoors, but no, I think people have to use due care and due caution in terms of wearing masks. No, and anything but because our society is created being reopened. We all wanted to get back to a type of life that we were used to in the park and, and to be fair to our hospitality and our retail uh, and, and our cities we need to have you know you know tourists coming back and people circulating and socializing and and, and spending money and, and and enjoying themselves but it's about having due care and i, I think the point i'm making is that there are people who are vulnerable immunocompromised the elderly um and those who are unvaccinated yeah and, and some would say that they're the people that need to mind themselves and, and in lots of cases, they are. We have many people still cocooning, uh, uh, refusing to go out, refusing to engage in, 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 in what was their life before COVID. And that's, that's their choice, and it's about personal choices as well. But my overarching concern or, or point is, in terms of mask wearing, I, I will encourage people to keep wearing them in shops, on public transport um, in particular. because it, it Pubs? Help. Pubs? I, 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 Restaurants? Again, I, I was in no difficulty in that situation. Going in and out the door of the pub in the coming days? Okay. Yeah, I would. I would I, Supermarkets? I would, yeah, I, I would absolutely encourage people to wear masks. I'm, not, I'm, 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 I'm again, it's not mandatory. I'm not asking for a police state, but what I am saying. You're saying we got rid of them too quickly, is what you're saying, isn't it? Correct. That's what I'm saying, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't think the businesses would be very happy to hear that message. I mean, it'd be different, you know, if we were maybe in the middle of winter. We're coming, the seasonality of these viruses kind of wanes as we go across 
you know, the, the peak in November, December, very bad in and January and February, and then start to drop off. And that's just the way of life that we've got to get used to. But my, my, my point was that we, we were a bit too early in getting rid of them in terms of maybe summertime heading, you know, from the first week of April onward where it gets better. Um, and, and again, I'm not making them actually, I'm not a killjoy, I'm not trying to prevent people from having a good time. What I'm trying to say is that we need to have a duty of care to those who are really compromised elderly. And if that's just me, but then why on the one hand would you say wear a mask, but on the other hand say it's okay for thousands of people to line Patrick Street in the Grand Parade on Thursday? The, because it's, it's outdoor and, and, and we're shown, we've been told that uh, outdoor is not conducive to the spread of the variant uh, Omicron or of the disease. And, and, and that's the reason why. Okay, um, not the greatest phone line in the world, but we got there. Happy uh, St. Patrick's Day to you Happy and St. Patrick's, Patrick's Week, as you say. I'd love to get people's thoughts on what you have to say, but thank you for that, Senator Jerry Butterman. Not the greatest phone line, but what do you think of what he has to say? That we got rid and we ditched the masks too quickly and it's still not too late to voluntarily put them back on again. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone, 0818104106. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now on the new number, 0818104106. And you can text 0868104106. Is there nothing that Sinn Féin can sort out? This is following Friday's conversation between myself and Pierce Doherty. They just seem to have a solution to everything. Maybe they should just tell people where the money trees are that's going to pay for all all of this. Morning, I wish you'd ask Pierce Doherty how many Sinn Féin TDs will house Ukrainian refugees in their own homes and give up their own holiday homes. Alright, good point. Uh, do you think Putin could do us all a favour and annihilate maybe our Irish politicians? Uh, I assuming you're being tongue-in-cheek about that. Uh, why can't our great president step in and do something for us? Begs to wonder why we even have a president. Um, Michal Martin should get the lead role in Pinocchio with all the mistruths he's telling. And lots then on fuel prices and an awful lot on Ukraine. But talking about fuel prices, um, and I'm not talking about motor cars and I'm not talking about trucks and vans and stuff like that, uh, but airplanes. Here's an interesting one because I don't think Dan, I'm not so sure that Dan's been trying to get home from Paris for three years, but he's wanting to get home for three years. And there's probably a difference in the two. Dan, good morning. Good morning. You, you haven't been desperately trying to get home, as you've wanted to come home over the last three years, is it? Well, um, this isn't about complaining; it's just explaining. Yeah, to, to, that, um, yeah. I live, I live, I live close. I live close to Paris, and um, with the lockdown, obviously, played a very important part. And um, COVID nineteen, it just wasn't possible to come from one country to the other. Yeah. Now that's you know to a degree, let's hopefully say, a thing of the past. Um, Travel-wise, I've been trying to fly from Charles de Gaulle, Wasi, which is R-O-I-S-S-Y. That's the main airport in, in Paris, to fly with Aer Lingus from Charles de Gaulle to Cork. Yeah. And um, the, the line is just not open. And I keep um, getting responses that they're working on it. Um, it's, um, it's very, very soon going to be something uh, um, that's going to be. Forgive me for a second. Um, now, what are, what are the flight arrangements between Paris and Cork? There, as, as there are none. There are none at all. If I want, if I want to fly with Aer Lingus, which I've always flown with Aer Lingus in the past, and I've never come across any difficulty whatsoever, um, dates or prices or time tables, etc. Um, that now to fly with Aer Lingus from Paris, Charles de Gaulle to Cork. The line is not open. Well, why don't you fly? It's like, what about Ryanair? What about Air France? I've like tried. I've tried. I've tried many different airlines, and um, it's not possible. And then when I do, 
um, is that they're, they're proposing, whatever airline is proposing, any flights from Paris to Cork, it's a five or six hour flight, and I'm just asking myself if they're not doing a stopover in New York, knowing that it's a one hour and 20 minute flight. So where would you go that would take five hours? Where would the stop be? I have no idea, and I can't find out any more information on that. It just says that they're going from one, from uh, Paris to um, to Cork. And then there's the other option, that it's a different airport in Paris, which is a lot more difficult access-wise um, when, you're, when you're going to Paris, because Charles de Gaulle is a very big airport. It's, uh, the access is quite easy from the city centre of Paris to Charles de Gaulle. But the other airport, which is called Orly, which is O-R-L-Y, yeah. it's a lot more difficult uh, to access. And the, and the companies that are flying out, they're proposing a flight of over five hours from Paris Orly uh, to Cork. And I don't have the certitude um, other than to be sure that I'm, there's a flight back. Is that Vueling? Is that? Vueling. Yeah, that's one of the, the companies that I... I've, uh, I've currently, like I said, Cork Airport is saying currently the only Cork Paris route is via Paris Orly with Vueling. Uh, from the 27th of March, flights are back. I don't know what they mean by flights are back. Are they saying, like, is there not a Ryanair flight that can get you Paris Cork? Um, I was asking the same question. And um, I mean, I'm no specialist with the the web, but um, I can't seem to find any information concerning Ryanair flying from Paris to Cork. Did you um, did you Google it? Did you try and book it? Um, I've tried. I've been trying with Ryanair. Every 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 company that I've um, been googling. I don't know if that word is is appropriate. Um, but um, yeah, when I've been on Google, um, I can't find a flight um, other than that vueling vueling thing. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, 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 yeah. V u e l i n g. Yeah, and that's over five hours, and that's from Orly. And um, that makes things quite complicated. Now, you know, if I've got to go via, then obviously... Um, so I no will. direct, no direct but, um, flight. I mean, even though I see even though I see ads up here for Ryanair saying, what did they say? Um, €15.34 Euro return. Cheap flights to Paris, eighteen ninety nine. Um Cheap flights. Now, if you can see something uh, that I haven't seen, which is quite no, possible, listen, that they're I'm flying from Paris to Cork, then fine. Flights from Cork to but Paris and forty-seven euro on Skyscanner. No, I've, I've only, I'm only doing this. I don't know if anybody else around here has actually tried to book the flight and check it out, but I'm checking it on my phone as we speak. Um, depart on. The, oh yeah, depart. Yeah, depart on the nineteenth. Um, Cork Paris. Part on the 19th, it's doing a search here now, and it's saying um, about um, 80, 82 euro return. Once, oh, hang on a second, it said one stop. What does that mean? So it's a five-hour flight. God. There we go. You know, that, that's what I'm coming up with as well. That's what Where you're are they doing. stopping? <laughs> um, I mean, you know, if there's, you know, I don't know. I think they're stopping in, I think they're stopping in Manchester. I'm just seeing this. Listen, I'm just Googling it on my phone as I'm talking to you now. No direct, though. Have no. you had heard anything um, with you and your team concerning Cork Airport and Aer Lingus flights that are coming from Paris? Da, 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 da. I can check for Because I you. can't get onto Aer Lingus and I can't get onto Cork Airport. Okay, yeah, yeah. I can check. I'm seeing something on the screen here, but it doesn't say what airline is talking about. One of the girls working with you, Neve, has taken my email address. Flying six days a week, bar Wednesdays, 
Air France are flying Paris Charles de Gaulle to Cork. Does that make any sense? Well, I haven't come across that one. Okay. I'll tell you what I do. Um, I'll park it for now um, or ground the flight for now and I'll come back to when I have a little bit more clarity because right now it's all very confusing. So let me, let me just see what's going on and come back to you on it, all right? Um, that would be very kind of you. Okay, you. not a bother. Okay, take care for now, Dan. Meanwhile, we were talking about the lack of services at Cork Airport where you couldn't get food, where you couldn't get a hot drink, where you couldn't breakfast or meal and everything was closed except for a small coffee kiosk. Uh, the communications manager at Cork Airport came back and said, in respect to the coverage which featured on your program, regard, regard, and a lot of this at the time had to do uh, with coverage over Storm Eunice and Franklin and flight, dis- flight disruptions, but it also had to do with the fact that a lot of things that should be open in Cork Airport, I'm assuming nothing's changed, that they're still all closed. Um, so, communications said Cork Airport is currently operating five out of its seven food and beverages outlets compared to pre-pandemic. All food and beverage outlets, with the exception of Food Republic and Kinsale Cafe and Bar, are currently open on a daily basis. Outlets open at present are Craft Lane Bar and Restaurant, Craft Lane Kiosk, AMT Coffee Bar, Bluebird Cafe and the Aspire Lounge. I don't think you can just rock into the Aspire Lounge. In respect to comments made by a caller to your program um, to the effect that the coffee dock is closed, I wish to inform you that the coffee bar is indeed open on a daily basis. Furthermore, comments by callers to the effect that all flights without exception of Heathrow went to Dublin on a particular date. That is also inaccurate. Um, in response to a message read out by the presenter, I assume you're referring to me, you probably don't know who I am, but it, it probably is me, with the message citing a source of a worker at Cork Airport to the effect that the cafe is closed and is not reopening, that statement is also inaccurate. Cork Airport is currently actively engaged with our food and beverage concessionaires to ensure that the cafe opens as soon as possible. I trust that the above information will be of use to you, etc., etc. And that's from the communications manager at Cork Airport. Thank you for it. But at the end of the day, though, you are saying that you are actively uh, engaged uh, with the food and beverage concessionaires to ensure that the cafes open as soon as possible. So they're not open. So you couldn't get a hot meal or you couldn't get a breakfast in the morning or things like that. Still at Cork Airport. And here we are on the 14th day of March. Neil's got a new number. Call him now on 0818 All right. Uh, by text to 0868 I actually saw this myself, unfortunately, a couple of weeks ago. My two nephews, their mother and the grandmother, went to light a candle in St. Peter and Paul's Church on Tuesday, this is from two weeks ago, one of the young lads wanted to light a candle for his granddad. What happened as they walked towards the right-hand aisle of St. Peter and Paul's church made them stop in their tracks and run from the church. I'm reading this text out as it's sent to me now. Three junkies were lying flat on the floor with silver paper and lighters. They were melting heroin. I don't want to make a drama where there is none, but this is just truly awful. It is despicable. I'm not a practicing Catholic anymore, but I still respect the sanctity of the church. We're losing our inner city, Neil, rapidly, if not already. I mean, a church of all places and an old woman was also sitting on the far side of that church, totally oblivious to what they were up to. Now... If I hadn't seen it myself a couple of weeks back, having been in St. Peter and Paul's Church, I might have thought that you were exaggerating in that text. But it's absolutely true. I saw the same thing. I happened to have been in St. Peter and Paul's Church uh, of a Saturday morning two weeks ago at 11 o'clock in the morning. 
And exactly where you're talking about, you go in the main doors and you turn right to go up the right-hand aisle and there's an area there at the back where, let us just say, people congregate and they're not there to light candles and they're not there to say prayers. Um, you say you went one step further and saw them, uh, you know, preparing uh, to shoot up with the silver paper and the, and the lighters and, and the heroin and the... And the um, and uh, I suppose the needles and the uh, and all of the different paraphernalia. I can't say that I saw that, but there was fifteen or twenty of them. They were noisy, they were chatting, they were toing and froing, and God only knows what else. And it was right at the back of the church, so it's kind of sad. I suppose they use the inside of a church because they know uh, that they're off the streets and won't be seen, and that they can do whatever they want to do back there. I don't know if any sacristan comes along and asks them to leave, or any priest comes along. Uh, but dotted around the church when I was in there on a on a Saturday morning was uh, maybe ten or fifteen different people who were sitting, uh, just praying or sitting and just enjoying the silence. So it was very very sad. Changing face of the city of that you can be sure. And back to the phone lines we go. Jerry Buttimer is saying that we may have uh, sorry he's not, he's no one on two at the moment. And I know Kieran wanted to make a point with regards to uh, uh, Jerry Buttimer saying that we took the masks off too soon. So I'll come back to that and lots more uh, in a few minutes time. But I'll stay with texts and emails for now. Um, we would be well able to deal with Ukrainian refugees coming in, but for years we've been flooded by people who claimed to come from war torn and war zone countries. We deported none of them at the time. There is no war in many of the African countries or all the many other countries that they actually came from. Now it's going to be a problem with Ukrainian refugees. There just isn't any room. Meanwhile, would you please stop these moaners giving out about Ukrainians getting medical cards? The Ukrainian people didn't ask to be in this position. They're being forced out of their homes and country. And if you can put a welcome on the mat, then you're not being Irish. You're just being selfish. And you don't represent the Irish people at all. This is a war situation. So people, stop your moaning. With the Ukrainians coming in, has anyone sat back and thought about the amount of nurses, teachers, health workers and other highly skilled people that actually could be arriving from Ukraine? This could benefit Ireland for sure in the long term. Morning, I've noticed that not a single politician has offered any of their holiday homes to the homeless Ukrainian refugees. In 2018, the CSO had recorded that there were 243 holiday homes owned by Irish politicians. Double standards. Do what we say, not what we do. Uh, The clothes banks are overflowing around the city. Why not empty them and give them to people in need coming into the country? They are emptied quite regularly. I mean, they just get filled very, very quickly. Uh, My son had booked a hotel in Dublin for a concert in the summer. Yesterday, the money he paid for the hotel was put back into his account. Not knowing why, he emailed them uh, and they said... They were going to be taking in Ukrainians. A message from them saying this wouldn't have gone amiss. So they're now taking refugees for nothing and cancelling their paying customers. I wonder. And those texts to 0868104106. I hope the Ukrainians realize that they are entering leprechaun land. Our government just can't organize anything properly. And this will be no exception. And a lot of texts then on taxi fares. I didn't manage to yet find out as to why one fare from Douglas to Cars Hill was 15 euro and the return trip from Cars Hill to Douglas was a fiver. In regards to taxis, advise the general public to always request a receipt after paying and then to watch the taxi driver's facial expression. <laughs> Why? 
Furthermore, once money is handed over, even for a packet of chewing gum, always ask for a receipt. You must always get proof of payment. I was charged 15 euro for a taxi from Clifton in Grange to the Kinsale Road, just by Harvey Normans on a Monday morning. That's a short trip now. It's a short trip. 15 euro sounds like a lot. Ask your taxi driver why they won't take people who pay by card. It's almost all totally cash now. Happens to me all of the time. Meanwhile, I was at a show in Cork Harbour House last Saturday, went to Patrick Street for a taxi. The taxi driver refused to bring us to Vienna Woods because he said the journey was too short and not worth it. So we had to walk the Opera House to Vienna Woods. You walked? Really? You mean you couldn't flag down another one? There was nothing else? That's a long walk. And one or two then on pensioners. As a pensioner, I think that we're in a very good position because we get great benefits from the government. Uh, I'm more often than not in credit at the end of a month. I'm lucky to be a pensioner in Ireland. It's much tougher in England, says William from So that's a second pensioner who is saying that he can't understand why pensioners can't keep their yeah, food on the table and their homes warm. Air is the only thing that's not being taxed at the moment. It's very hard for pensioners at the moment, especially those like me living alone, says Donald in West Cork. So that's just a selection of texts to uh, 0868104106. Um, we go to Paris all of the time, but there's no Aer Lingus flights going to... P- I'm just reading that text. If we just come- Okay, I'll come back to it. I'll go to a call instead. Patrick, good morning. How's it going, Nate? I'm delighted to chat with you because it was your gr- your dad that built the cross uh, on the Church of the Ascension, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. When? In 1962. All right. So how did he feel about the fact that it fell down last week? He was going mad over it. Ah, I know. I Jesus. know. He, he, he'd have felt... He'd have felt... Um, he's a very pro man. Like, in his whole life, he was telling us about that cross. He, he was only an apprentice. Just he don't engineer himself, services. Well, how old was he then when he built it, made it, put it together? He was only 16. So he made but, it? I mean, he must, he must have been a child. I'll tell you, though, the way it happened, he was an apprentice down in this place, engineering services in the Monaghan Road, Mead. Right. But, but Patsy Hart was the tradesman there. I mean, me dad and Patsy built that cross together. How long did it take them, do you think? Oh, God, it, he, he's never told me how long, no. But, it, it, like... He even failed to even attach him to it because it's a landmark. It's an icon all over. You can see it from all over the whole of Cork City. Big time, particularly. I don't know, was it, was it always lit up? But it used to be lit up back in the day. I think the bulbs went or something. Yeah, but the bulbs have to be changed loads of times. I, I was above the other day talking to the priest, no more, because we're, we're going to repair it and put, and put it back up for him. Or else we'll make a new one, do you know what I mean? I know, I know. He, he's happy as an assurance. I'm coming today, I think, Neil, because the scaffold only went up over the weekend. So it fell down, but thankfully nobody was injured or hurt or anything like that. And of course, the damage was done by a couple of handy storms that we had. But it still lasted nearly 60 years. It did. 60 years. Jesus. This is it. Like 60 years, I would tell you. The, 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 the metal in it and the, the, yeah. the craftsmanship in it, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So did you get into the same game then as your dad, welding, fabrication, things like that? Yeah, we're the very same game. No, we're, we're MSL Engineering. And this, we do all big heavy lifts in the pharmaceuticals and down in the Isle Refinery and all that, you know? Yeah, yeah. At have MSL and have you taken a look at it? I was up there Friday, shall I? I was up the very top. I went up to the police, told me to go up and have a look, and I went off. And? And it is all rotten, me, to feel some corrosion up there. But like I said, the insurance company is coming today, and they're going to go up and have a look, and they'll come up with a new design then. 
So you think yep. that we might that that might be a brand new cross needed and brand new That'd fixings be. on the on the top of the steeple? Is it? I, I'd imagine so. I can't I can't imagine it, 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 any insurance company saying like repair it because it's so old and it's so it's so corroded. You know, so it, and there's no metals there, no and everything. They like stainless steel and better. better you could make a whole new design like, and, and do a right job of it, you know? Did your dad go up and look at the cross on the ground? Uh, no, so he's 75. Uh, he's sure, 75. Yeah. He probably is one I, I went up there Friday, no, after walk, I was walking here and Lily uh, till one o'clock and I went up there to talk to the priest, but it is a long pull up. We are going up a ladder, a ladder 80 feet. I know, I wasn't suggesting he should go up to the top of the steeple. It fell down, it was on the ground. Did he look at it there, no? No, nah, he didn't. No, nah, he didn't. No, nah. I was like, yeah. I, I took a lot of pictures now of it, Neil, and I showed him just night, you know. Yeah, yeah. He, he was going mad over it, like, but he, he went to me, said, and he said, Patsy Happy, did you know Patsy Happy played for Cork? I know he the name. Yeah, holler. I can't say yeah. I know him. Uh, he was a, he was a brilliant holler, like, but my dad several times to Patsy, and that was one of his first jobs. He told him they made F done engineering services. Well, I think and the great it. story here is that you. What's your dad's name? David. That David McGrath built the original cross and his son Patrick McGrath is going to build the replacement. Well, <laughs> I'm quite willing to. I'm quite willing to know, but it all depends what the insurance I think it would be pretty well. I don't mean to twist your arm, but wouldn't it be a lovely story if it happened? As it would. And if it was there for another 60 hours, wouldn't it be brilliant? Neither? But would you not say to the priest, give me the job and we'll keep it in the family? <laughs> I did. I told him all that, and he was quite—he was, uh, was mad for it. But again, his hands are tied. You have, they have a, a consultant engineer, Michael McGrath, is his name. Yeah, and he's—he's he's the diocese engineer, and yeah. they do all the work for the Catholic church with churches and. Ah, yeah, but one McGrath, one McGrath to another, you could keep it in the name. Actually, you never know. You <laughs> never know. I made myself available, and they told the priest, they take a. And uh, shut the wireless in his court. No, do you know what I mean? I know. I think it would be great if it happened that it would go yeah, from one generation to the next, and the cross would be yeah, re- would be replaced by the man whose dad built the first one. Yeah, well, I, I was talking to a couple of lads. Oh, there's a lot, a lot of local lads from Drannabrah who walk with us, Neil, and the riggers and fitters and welders, all that. And they're all mad to get involved, you know, and help help uh, to parish. Ah, uh, let's make that happen. I think that's brilliant. Please, guys. Would, would you want board now, Neil? You might come up, cut the ribbon, show you. I hope you wouldn't be afraid to go up the ladder. Well, you? You, mean, you mean I'd have to go up to the top of the steeple? Well, we'll get a train and we put you up in the basket, sure. Oh, that'd be grand. <laughs> Make we, sure. We'll put a hammer on you. you I'll do that for you as long as it's not a too windy a day now. That's all. <laughs> uh, you couldn't. You couldn't. If there was windy, the train wouldn't go up, sure. That's what those are rules and regulations there, you know. Is there anything we need to do to make this happen that Patrick McGrath builds the replacement cross that his dad built in 1962? Say a few prayers. That's all right, all we can do. Okay. I'll stay in go touch with it. Go to Martin, say a few prayers, Neil. I'll light a candle later on to make it happen. So we we'll go from David McGrath to Patrick McGrath. Well done. All right. Stay in touch, Patrick. All right. Thanks, Neil. I'll be back. Well said, kid. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national, and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. New year, new number for Neil. 0818-104-106. Uh, apologies, Kieran. I couldn't find you there before 11. Morning. Can you hear me now? Morning, Neil. Okay. So, Jerry Bottomer, the Fine Gael Senator, says that we uh, got rid of masks too quickly. What do you make of that? 
Yeah, but look, this guy is lecturing us now on masks and everything else, and he's the guy that was in go- involved in Golfgate there a few years back, remember? Mm. Yeah, well, so Golfgate I mean, went through the inquiry. Golfgate went through the inquiry, as you know, and uh, even yeah. co- even court cases, and every, uh-huh. everybody was kind of like, uh, you know, I mean, criticised for sure, but found to have done nothing wrong. Yeah, but if you believed you didn't do anything wrong, would you resign your position to what he had his resigned a whip or something, was it? Lost it. Yeah, well, he had to step down, didn't he? He stepped yeah. down voluntarily, is that correct? Do you, yeah. Do you, be, you believe that somebody who went to a party or a lunch or a get-together when other people weren't shouldn't be lecturing us in anything, is it? Hey, somebody that done wrong at the time and knew that they done wrong at the time because if he believed he didn't do wrong, he wouldn't have resigned in the whip. Let's be fair about it. Mm. So he believed he'd done wrong at the time and he got caught out. And this hypocrite, now, I'm not political, by the way, but I, I just call out hypocrisy when I see it. He's lecturing us now on masks and everything else. This guy needs to be on the, on the radio. He just likes to hear the sound of his own. Uh, well, I mean, I, invite, I invited him on. I saw him. I saw an article in the Irish Times this morning where he was mm-hmm. saying compulsory mask wearing in shops and public transport should be reintroduced. He said compulsory. He told yeah, me on the air then that he doesn't want it to be compulsory. But that's his high horse now for this week, Neil. Next week he'll be pontificating about something else. Like, He's I asking mean, people instead not to pass a regulation to do it, but encouraging people to do it. Yeah, but my point is why should why should a guy even start lecturing anybody else on on, 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 on vaccines or mask wearing and everything else when he was proved, when he admitted that he'd done wrong himself? At a time when the rest of the country was not well, yeah, in the, spe- in the sense of else. in the spirit of the fighting COVID, they did wrong, I suppose, doesn't it? Well, Neil, let's be fair. No, like, <laughs> I mean, everybody at that at that thing, they, they were supposed to be separated by a barrier or a something. Partition, like that, yeah, between two rooms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's be fair. No, but the connections that was there, that was never going. They were never going to be found guilty by court judges and everything else. So let's he, be fair. About okay, it. so he's the last person to be telling us what to do. Exactly. But exactly. Sh- but sh- but, but did they did okay? But let me just ask you personally, then as well, and everybody else: mm-hmm. Did we get rid of masks in social settings too quickly? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. To be quite honest, it's, you know, I mean, they, they we're going to be well. People will be paying the price of this for years to come. I mean, even personal experience. I know people that are still terrified to come outside the doors of their houses. Mm-hmm. Like you know, mm-hmm. the worldwide youth and everything else. Like so, I mean. You know, we just have to get on with it. Like, I mean, you know, you can be you can be massaging figures for for the next ten years. Like, with but yeah, but are we? Sub- are they? Are they actually massaging figures? When you look at it, like, um, when was the? Well, I think I think personally, the last uh, the last variant, the Omicron variant, that was like a, a heavy winter cold. Like, look, I, I was one of the lucky ones. I got it twice. I vaccinated, I got my booster, but I still managed to get COVID twice. I got the Delta variant at the start. Yeah. And yeah. I got the Omicron. Yeah. I got over it, but sure, I'm just one of the lucky ones, I suppose. You don't Most think daily still. figures of hovering around nine or 10,000 is a problem? I know that they're keeping ICU low. There's 41. Do you remember when that was over 100? Exactly, and yeah. Way over, nearly yeah. closer to 200 at times. Yeah. And admissions are way down. But they are saying that hospitalization's up 50% in a fortnight. None of that's a worry, no? Well, you said it yourself. You said with COVID, it's not of COVID, it's yeah. with COVID. There's probably underlying conditions, but they're not mentioned, you know. Look, uh, don't get me wrong, people, some people are unlucky. They get it and they, and they, they suffer with it. And in some cases, it's life-threatening. But 
you know, you, you, you can massage figures to suit every argument, okay. to be quite right. honest. Okay, let's get other people's opinions on this. And can I say one more thing, Neil, before, before I go? Yeah. yeah. Can I say one thing? Um, this, this, this lady, Katrina Toomey. Yeah. She's in fairness, or she's, she's, she's Coxworth in the way. Of the Western woman in Calcutta, the Mother Teresa. I thought you were going to that say that she's Cork's, she's Cork's answer to the Duracell bunny. I think she, she? that woman, that woman is definitely she's she's a saint walking among us. There's no doubt well about it. Well said, it's so see all of us. I'd have to. We'll have to give her credit. All right, thanks, Kieran. Cheers. Your thoughts are welcome on this and any other topic. Did we ditch compulsory wearing of masks in shops and retail settings and public transport too soon? If so, why so? Text 0868104106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at NeilRedFM. And you can text 0868104106. Hi, lads. I'm with the man who just spoke on it with us on Friday about looking after our own first. I don't really agree with all these collections for Ukraine. Yes, I feel for the people for sure, but I'm Irish and I look out for my own people. Uh, what's the difference with the people from direct provision centres? They're fleeing conflict also. Let's turn, not turn our backs to follow the herd. Um, but I don't think people, by and large, are turning their backs. I think it's quite the opposite. Uh, just on about uh, the travellers and the conversations from Friday. Yes, it is so bad uh, where they're living in uh, Little Island, but they make the decision to live in caravans. But if you look, all travellers have brand new cars, are nearly new, and they have very expensive jewellery, nothing but designer clothes, and I would say you couldn't show me a payslip to save your life. I live in the city and you do genuinely see what they actually do around the place in big gangs, scaring and bullying people into scams and robbing them. You see, that's all very well. You could say that about any section of society, not including just travellers. Any section of society go around in gangs, hassling people, bullying people, scamming them. Uh, unfortunately, when it comes to the travelling community, they get all tired with the one same brush. They're all included as being just bad news. And in the case of Little Island, there are seven children living in those horrific housing conditions. I do feel sorry for the family that are living in the mobile home, but what about them, uh, our travellers, showing up unannounced to poor families living their whole life here in Little Island, having to deal with the consequences of the caravans and mobile homes, all of the hassle, the fires, the guards calling over, the fighting. Why should we help them when they've made families and homes of Little Island an absolute hell? That's a selection of texts on that to 0868104106. Just very quickly, because we were talking about all sorts of aid going to um, Ukraine and many refugees, of course, coming to Ireland. There was a point being made earlier on about whether or not the aid that's going includes aid for pets. And to a large extent, um, those pets are being left behind as many refugees leave Ukraine. Quick call from Susie with St. Vincent de Paul. Susie, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? Good, thank you. Now, you'll tell me the state of play. What's going on? Um, well, for us, basically, we're still collecting food for the pets of Ukraine. Um, like, we're kind of at a standstill now at the moment because we're trying to find a courier or anyone going out there that will take the food from us. Like, I have pallets of food now ready to go, but I've no one to take it. Pallets? Now, like, all, big pallets? Yeah, 
yeah, we've been offered pallets from the likes of Lidl. We've been offered pallets from loads of pet stores. Like, um, like the support has been phenomenal. Like, we've actually been linking up with, um, we linked up with Pets Plus last week and they took a load of food from us and they had their own collection and they went off to Ukraine. Uh, we dropped food into Katrina's gang and Penny Dinner. And they took some? They were sending, they did, yeah. And what's um, on the pallets? Is it dogs? Uh, cats? Dog, dog food, cat food. Uh, we've had rabbit food. We've crates for dogs. Like, Crates, crates for cats, everything that you can possibly think for your own pet as well. Obviously, not toys and stuff like yeah. just food. Yeah. You know, it's because people are like still trying to bring their pets across as well. You know, and it's it's quite sad to see that they're so they're struggling. They, they've left everything behind. Like you know, and, and is it a case that people have literally left their dogs and cats behind them? I, to be honest, I hadn't heard that. Like, um, but I have seen stories online now of like, you know, like rescues and trouble over there that have been abandoned and stuff. Like, I don't know the whole story about it, so I won't even delve into it. Like, um, logistical I, I nightmare moving pallets of pet food. Would it not be better yeah. to try and get cash and buy it at source, or is it not available? We, we're a voluntary organisation, Neil. So uh, we're not a charity, so we can't actually accept monetary donations. Ah, so, like, yeah. I tend to like tell people to buy food for us instead so at least that way we can actually give it out and I like to show people where their their money is going as well you know so people can see where what they're giving like I prefer that's kind of just my thing well so done to all of you for doing what you do you are now looking for some logistical help to get it out there yeah exactly like um, if there's any like convoys going out that we could link up with I'd be more than happy to get all our volunteers and myself together and get the food to them Get a fork you know, lift um, truck and get it on the back of someone's <laughs> arctic, isn't like, it? Even, like, we've been kind of um, very lucky, like, the, the volunteers that I have, like, they're all amazing. Like, you know, they've been filling their cars with food and dropping, like, you know, the cars are nearly the wheels are on the ground, like, <laughs> practically bursting. <laughs> but, like, they're still helping because everybody wants to help. And also, just for the comment about people saying we should help our own, we also help our own as well. We just don't, like, it's... The Ukraine is in a very bad state at the moment. Like, and like they need our help, and like we're not going to stand by and watch them suffer, you know. But we still help our own at the same time. Yeah, so. there's 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 still criticism. Here's another one: really? Are, are yeah. the government really serious about the amount of Ukrainian people proposed to come into the country? We have a serious housing crisis, and nobody seems to think about the knock-on effect on our joke of a health system with a hundred thousand extra people coming into the country. You see, that's what people. Are I saying. know it's. It, you know, but at the same time, like, what if it happened to us tomorrow? Like, we'd be looking to other countries for help, you know, and we help everyone. I think as a country, we're very um, charitable for everyone. Like, I'd like to think that if we were in trouble tomorrow, it would happen for us as well. You yeah. know, other countries yeah. would look after us. So, you know, let's get, what you, let's get yeah. the shout out for you with regards to pets, cats, dogs, Thank rabbits. You, I appreciate that. And if anybody's got a, an <laughs> Arctic going that could take, how many pallets? Um... Right now, I have a good amount. Um, like, I'm actually going to be giving some to rescues as well in Cork, just to make sure that they, they're covered for themselves as well. Good for you. Well, send you me know, a photograph of the pallets that you have. We'll share I it will, on social as well. We yeah, have powerful no social. You never know who might be willing to, to, you know, let yeah. you, let you catch a lift. Yeah, and could I also, if you don't mind, Neil, I give a shout out to a group on Facebook. They're called Cotton Hound. What they're doing at the moment is they're selling pet bandanas, uh, for support for, the people of Ukraine, it's like they're like they've the colours of the Ukraine flag, and all money raised will go to the Irish Red Cross Society for the people of Ukraine as well. It's like ten euro of a, a bandana, and it includes postage and everything. Well and they're on Facebook, and they're brilliant, and they're doing an amazing job. And it's a good way to to support as well, you know, for 
for all those hundred percent agree. You never know who might be listening. They might be able to take your pallets exactly. of pet food. Yeah. Listen, I'll stay yeah. in touch with you. If somebody comes to me, I'll come Thank to you. All right. Take care, I'll Susie, for now. All right. That's St. Vincent de Pause. Just actually while we're talking about that, the Lions Club um, have decided to change the beneficiary of the annual St. Patrick's Hill Ball Run uh, to support the Lions Refugee Fund itself. Now, normally, uh, the ball run is, raises funds for their DFib project, but uh, given the need to provide humanitarian aid to the displaced persons, they are instead sending the proceeds of the ball run to the Lions International Fund, and they're asking the public to come along to Patrick's Hill, wear Ukrainian colours to show support for Ukrainian people. They'll be taking donations via the website, corklionsclub.ie, and also at the event. So we're talking about Patrick's Hill, St. Patrick's Hill, Cork City, 2 p.m. this coming Sunday. So thanks for getting in touch, Martin. Good luck with that. Calling Red FM Studio? Call the new number, 0818-104-106. Good morning, Neil. Have you actually now left your own home, as in walked out with your child, closed the door behind you? Yeah, I left there um, over eight nights ago. Um, I've only been back with some uh, another adult just to get some belongings like clothes and stuff for me and my daughter, yeah. And why, oh why, have you left your home? Um, basically, Neil, uh, I've been living at the property for a good few number of years um, and up to kind of last summer everything was okay but it kind of took a downward spiral from then. Um, basically, the reason why I left with my little girl um, a few nights back is because I could actually physically smell drugs in my home. I could smell them in my kitchen, I could smell them in my bathroom, and more, which was actually more frightening, I smell them in my bedroom. Cannabis, marijuana, weed. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's absolutely horrible, stinky, kind of um, musty, disgusting smell. It was. I was at the pit of my stomach from it. And has and this been going on for quite? Uh, uh, yeah, you can't and you can't you can't mask it with the air freshener. Has it been going on long? Yeah, um, it's. I have been logging calls about this since last October. I've over thirty calls logged. Um, kind of into the emergency services because the situation that I'm in, if, you know, if these people know that it's me making these calls, then that's really putting me and my daughter at jeopardy. Okay, we can, um, and yeah. honestly, they've been fantastic. Anytime I have rang, they have come, you know, they've done as much as they can do. Um, and I've also made the council aware of this as well. Okay, so much okay. so that they approved my transfer. Okay, so so it got so so you were there for like something like four years, and for a lot of those four years, it was fine. Did new tenants move in next? Perfect. But yeah. for the majority of it, it was absolutely perfect. Did, but as I said, the middle of last year took a downward spiral. Why did new tenants move in or something? Is it? Um, one particular person moved into the area. Yeah, he had never been there before at the meal, yeah. Okay. And did you ever try and chat with them and tell them that you were worried about your health and your daughter's health and that, you know, could they maybe stop? To be honest, I thought of that, but we just wish who this individual is and who he's mixing with and who he's associating with himself with. I, I came to the decision, the decision, if I did, I was really up the creek then because okay, you know, they're, they're not to be messed with okay not to be messed with and the guardie did come out you're telling me and at one stage raided yes. the house can you tell me about the raid 
They did. They came out um, and they went into that property um, and they were there for a while now, to be fair. You know, I can't fault them. They did everything that they possibly could do. And um, it was successful. I don't know exactly what was got there, but there was um, items got there. All right. Okay. And it kind of, it stopped maybe for like a day or two and then it started right back up again. So you don't know if there was any confiscated property or any prosecutions or court appearances or anything like that? See, I can't be given that information because of GDPR reasons, but they have told me that these this house and these particular people are under constant surveillance. All right, okay. So we're, we're getting our way through this. Do they work or do they go out or is it, um, are they there all the time? I mean, does it also um, come with loud music and banging and noise? Yeah kind of started in the evenings um, and there's like an outbuildings, you know, and they were in there, um, which is kind of close to my side of the property. And then it kind of started transpiring. It was in the evening, then we'll say when it was bright, you know, within like maybe two or three o'clock in the day. And then I had it a few mornings. But I mean, it came to the stage where I wasn't able to go out the back or let my little girl play out the back because you know yourself that's not what you want your kids around no it isn't and is it a problem trying to fit when you were there to sleep oh sleep like up to eight nights ago sleep was non-existent because I was worried if somebody was going to come to the wrong door and then if I got even a stink of it around the place in the evening I was terrified in that there was more than the one individual would come sometimes there could have been two on one occasion, there was five of them there. There was never any rest there, Neil. It was never oh, like hell on earth. I know. And have you Absolute any, like, have you any family or friends or anyone that can come yeah. to your aid? I mean, you're a single mom yeah. with, I'm told your daughter sadly is on the autism spectrum. Are you all alone in the world? Uh, I am not, I have my, I have family and I have friends, but unfortunately they're living about 30, 35 minutes away from me, but it came to a stage for the last two months. I was never really alone at the property once it got dark, as in, you know, once it had kind of night fell, there was always somebody there because I had one stage where I had to lock myself into the fishing room with my child because I was so terrified of what was going on at the property next door. What was going on? They were just, they were all out, they were out at the back of the property, they were out around, they were taking drugs, it was loud, it was noisy. You know, it's like, why I mean that property... I fear for my life. Uh, I don't feel safe okay. there anymore. Okay. You're living in terror, yeah. You are, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I don't think it's, it's safe for a child either, you know. And how aware of your, of all of this is your daughter? Um, I, I try to act as normal as much as I can around her, but I'm going to be honest. Since we have left the property, she hasn't asked to come back. Okay. So and I think that kind of says enough. And that says a lot. Okay, I'll, I'll come back to the aspect of the council in a, in a yeah. few in a few minutes' time, but... You, you know, with regards to what they're go- what you're going to do for somewhere new to live, yeah. but you've obviously been on to the county council. They're your landlord, right? And you've told them I about have, and, and the and, and the people and the people who are making I, your life a misery. Are they also tenants of the county council? They are. They sure are. Yeah, they sure are. Yeah, I'm in a small estate. It's not a big estate. Okay, so what have uh, they, they said they're going to do or can do? Um, well. I was in constant touch with them and as I said, they approved my transfer last year for me and once I left the property last week, I went up to the local office. Um, I won't name the office, but I went there and to be honest, the way I was treated, um, it wasn't respectful and it wasn't anyway dignified either. Can you tell me any more about that? 
again, kind of, I, I presented to the office. I told them that I left the property the night before for my safety reasons. And I was told that um, they weren't going to help me out with any alternative accommodation. Um, I had been advised all along by them not to make a formal complaint because of who were the who the people were next door. Like, that's a big fear that you know if my my details get out that that's going to put me in jeopardy. And my hand was forced that I had. I felt my hand was forced last week to push all of this down in writing and to make a complaint. Yes, and they okay. told me that in their eyes I had a home. And until something suitable came up, I should stay there. But that's that. It's gone past that stage now. That who's stage run, gone. Like, who's actually running the show here? If they're saying, "Don't put anything down in writing. Don't make an official complaint because you don't know who you're dealing with." They're the tenants, and exactly. they, and they're the you know the, sorry, they're the landlord. It's it's their responsibility not to have people I'm, behaving like that on their property, and also. They're your landlord and they have um, an onus of responsibility to you, single mother and a daughter. Exactly. And I'm ahead of my rent. So I'm not one of these people that fall behind. My home is like my home. It's clean. It's tidy. They've come out. They've inspected my home. And the, the remarks that I got was if every if every one of our tenants kept their home the way you did, we would have no problem. So, I mean, from my point of view, you know... I haven't done anything wrong in this situation, only that I have found myself in this situation now. And you've I left... have over 30 calls logged between okay. calling for emergency services no, it... and other services to let them know what's going on. And no. they're aware from day one, I've made them aware of everything. Okay. No, I just I just want to be clear before we approach, approach them for a comment that you were told okay. that in spite of you telling them exactly what life was like there, exactly how worried and upset you were, living in terror with this, um, they, had, they said to you that they would not um, give you alternative or emergency accommodation. Um, this no, is a, this is a mother and her daughter. No, they said yeah. no. Okay. okay. Yeah, the counter said it was my decision to leave, and for- on that ground, it was my decision to pay for that alternative accommodation. Okay. Oh, did- and in her eyes, I had a home to be in. Okay. But it's not a home when I'm locking myself into a room no, and another not. adult comes to be with me. Or okay. it's not a home if I can stand in my kitchen or in my bathroom and I can smell drugs. That's did, not a home. Okay, did they advise you to check in with Kun Lee or with Edel House or anywhere like that? Nothing. Nothing. She, I, I broke down at the counter and I had I have a fantastic counsellor who is helping me as much as he can. He, this man is outstanding. He's contacted me late at night. He always answers the phone to me. And when I said I have this particular person involved, the answer was I got, have they been to your house? Have, have they seen what's going on? You know, they just they didn't want to entertain it at all, at all. Did she you say you did you say you broke down as in you cried at the counter? At, I was in bits at the counter. I had slept in a hotel all that night long. I I didn't know whether I was coming or going, and I I was informed to present myself. I rang citizens' advice. They said present yourself to the counter and let them know what's going. On. And they they knew what was going on. And like you know, they knew it was going to come to the stage where I was going to have to leave the property because I had been in contact. On a daily basis, if not every second day, with a housing officer letting that person know what was going down at the property. Yeah, so nothing should have come as any surprise, to be quite honest with you. So you broke no. down, but in spite of that, you were still sent away. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was told okay. I have a home and I was told oh, yeah. um, I know. until I know. they, you know, they knew exactly what was going on, that there wouldn't be nothing to be done. And that's where I was pushed to make the formal complaint. Okay. Okay. So where have you stayed now for the last eight or nine nights? Um, I had, I was over, I was seven nights in a hotel and I have secured, it's a holiday apartment um, called where my little girl goes to school if I was to go to my mom's or, uh, you know, uh, or my okay. yeah. parents' house or a friend's house. I'm over an hour and ten minutes away. And who's pay, who paid for the hotel? Who's paying for the holiday home? Okay, I, I put as much of it to my savings as I could, but between, it's between my family and my friend are okay. helping me out. okay. Okay. Uh, what about all of your clothing and all of your personal belongings from all of your life? A lot of them are still at the property. Um, as I said, I've gone back twice to get some belongings with another person. And that's a big fear then as well that they're there. Like I do have a camera. I bought, bought, I invested in a camera late last year, you know, to, to monitor what was going on. Like I have video evidence of these people in the backyards. Okay. No one in around the property, okay. no. So this can be seen, you know. Do you mind if we get in touch with Cork County Council just to get um, some kind of response as to why they treated you in the manner which they did? Yes, please, okay. because uh, like I only have this accommodation for another few nights, and then uh, like I don't know where I'm going to go from here because financially I wouldn't be able to drive an hour and ten minutes in the morning, and the same in the evening with a, a child, and on top of it, you know going into bed at night not wondering what, what you're going to have in a few nights it's it's crippling it's yeah crippling. I'm amazed I'm amazed at your, your your you know your strength to keep it together in fairness to you Sarah I really am um, I, I have to like I have there's a small little girl that came into this world and I worked right up to when she was diagnosed I did everything that I could possibly I've gone back to college myself just to try and get you know like I thought this house was going to be you know, Your forever home. our future, yeah. and I put a lot of money into it. You know, painted it, kept it ordered, and to have to leave there because of yes, and you didn't choose you didn't choose your neighbours. Nothing to do with no. you. It's not your fault. No. If anybody listening to this conversation wants to reach out and help, is that okay with you? If I put them in touch with you, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, because okay. ending at this stage, like all I want is just a safe home for me, and my little girl, that she's able to go play out the back. You know, and I'm not standing there cooking the dinner or, you know, I'm not bringing somebody to come out to me because I'm afraid. It's no life for anybody, no, you know. Not. No, it's not. It's not. Hang in there. Listen, thanks so much for taking the call. I think we've covered all of the ground at this stage, have we? I'll be back to you and chat with the council and you never know who might be listening. But if you need for anything, do come back to me, will you? Great. Yeah, and thanks so much, Neil, and thanks for being so understanding. So sure, what am I doing at this point know, only listening to you? But let's see if we can help. Great. Thanks so much, Neil. All right, Sarah. Take care for now. Take care. Bye-bye. And from the back end of uh, last week's programme, um, again, this is to do with uh, families, but it had to do with a husband and a wife having seven children and living in a, a mobile home. Marie says, have as many children as you want, but have a home for them first, not depending on people to find them a place. Come on, Neil, for God's sake. Again, you have seven innocent children, Marie, who are not in any way responsible for the housing and lack of housing or the fact that they have to live in a in a mobile home. You shouldn't be bringing seven children into the world if you can't take care of them, full stop. Don't blame the state. We, the working people, are the ones having to pay for it. I take in Ukrainians 
before I would take in anyone else. Oh, well, there you go. Selective charity, I suppose. Well, I'm not here to judge. Uh, 100% agree with the people on air. He's right about them earning 685 and looking for handouts every week. Get out and get a job like the rest of us do. Uh, meanwhile, the council have a five-bedroom house up a while back out in Ballancolig. All the available properties can be seen on Facebook pages, probably worth at least 400 grand uh, for exactly this type of family to accommodate their needs, even though they make make the decision to have more children. Uh, every household composition of one to two adults and one to two children are waiting years upon years for housing while being employed and not engaging in any antisocial behavior and ensuring that they're on contraception. Just because uh, some women have common sense to not continue reproducing, they are discriminated against for this and left waiting longer than those who decide to remain unemployed and carrying on having many children and living off the state. It's absolutely ridiculous how properties are allocated uh, and you have social workers advocating for certain individuals, getting them housing within two years, while the rest of us are left waiting at least seven. Uh, there's a crazy amount of fun used flats in McCroom. Uh, I've been in this area for six years and never seen them being used by anyone. It's a total waste. Check out the unused flats in McCroom around Dunn Stores. Uh, I wrote recent, this recently uh, when I was feeling particularly low and let down by our government. I'm happy for you to read it out, but please keep me anonymous. It's a poem. It says, Lying in bed wondering how I got here, pushing 40 back under, under my parents' roof. Did I not work hard enough? Yet I've been working consistently since I was 15. Lying in bed wondering how I got here. My family splits in two each night because there isn't enough room here. Was I not kind enough? Yet giving brings me joy and helps others is my helping others is my passion. Lying here in bed wondering how I got here, gave my landlord a hundred and ten thousand euro but can't get a mortgage. Am I not smart enough? Yet I went back to college and still continue to upskill and earn four hundred and eighty euro a week. Lying in bed wondering how I got here, four children without a space to call their own. Am I a bad mother? Yet everything I do is done with their best interests at heart. Lying in bed wondering how I got here, my mental health is in the gutter. Am I strong enough? Yet every day I show up for my family, juggle work and home and hide it well. Lying in bed wondering how I got here, struggling to pay bills now and put petrol in the car. Should I cut back more? Yet already we cut out so much of what makes life worth. It's just to keep us afloat. Crying in bed now, knowing that it's unfair, feeling beat down by a system that I've paid too, too, feeling beat down by a system that I've paid too much time and money into that does nothing to serve me anymore. Am I a fool? The kind of questions people ask as they lie in bed wondering how I got here. Text 0868104106. Calls on the way. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Why for years do I have stories, um, not all the time, but we certainly get a fair share of them, of uh, neighbours from hell who are tenants of city or county councils. Why do city councils and county councils tolerate neighbours from hell and just put up with it or as if they just turn a blind eye to it? It's just going on with years. Um, I've got two contrasting stories for you with regards to a lack of kindness and an act of kindness. Let's do the lack of kindness first, shall we? Vanessa, good morning. Hi Neil, how are you? I know you're very upset and uh, I know it's not the easiest conversation to have with you so thank you for sharing. What happened to you this morning? 
Um, no, I wouldn't re- usually ring in about like anything. I'm a support worker myself, and I work in the community. I look after vulnerable people. Now I'm I'm out of work since December. Where I had COVID, and I'm suffering from long COVID now. And it's looking like I have a neurological disorder, so I'm after going to a chiropractor in Ballincollig. So I left Mallow. No, with the neurological disorder. When you my say balance. neurological, what do you, what do you, how are you, how are you suffering? Um, my balance is off, and my speech is off, and I'm starting to have seizures. Um, so they're looking at something neurological. So look, I have an appointment with the chiropractor there, of course, to 12. Right. I really needed to use the bathroom as I came from Mallow. So I tried to go into a coffee shop in Bell and Colleague. Now I was going to get a coffee. I understand toilets are for customer use. No, I came from Mallow and I'm having trouble with my bladder as well. So I, I was going to the bathroom and she I one lady stopped me. She looked like a manager and she said, are you a customer? And I said, I need to use the bathroom first. I will then get a coffee. And she said, no, you go and get yourself a coffee first. I said, I please, I really need to go. And my balance was off. And she said, no, she put her hand on me and said, no, go and get a coffee first. So I knew I wouldn't be able to make it to order a coffee and go to the bathroom. So I had to walk out. Obviously, I'm having an accident and I'm late for my appointment, but I, I just, she was so rude, like, in this, in this day and age, like, she could have just let me use the bathroom and I could have get my coffee, that's all. <laughs> Vanessa, did you wet yourself? Well, I don't want to answer that, Neil, but oh. obviously I'm having an accident. I know, I know. No, I mean, I, I, I just can't believe that somebody would be so unkind. I'm just downright rude. I work in the community myself and I show kindness every day. You were were a customer. You just were going to the loo before you sat down for your coffee. You had time on your hands. You were going to have a coffee. Yeah, and like this is my first time after leaving the house since I'm suffering from COVID because I have terrible body jerking and head jerking and my balance is off and I just couldn't believe I just, I'm speechless. I'm actually late for my appointment as well. So I just, yeah, I'm actually speechless. Like, aren't we, didn't we learn anything from COVID as in to be kind? There was no talking to her. Like, she just would not listen, even though you said, did you tell her that you were unwell? Did you tell her that you I were... I didn't, did because I actually got such a shock. And she said, you go and get yourself a coffee and then you can, then you can use it. So... I like art being treated like that. I didn't want to buy a coffee in there. No, you know the things on your mind. You said I, I, I really, really need to use the toilet. I did. I did. I couldn't wait. What are you going to do? I, mean, yeah, I know. I know. I mean, listen. Uh, I, I know it's a very, it's a very private thing, and I, and I don't mean to, I don't mean to pry. But what are you going to do now? I'm after getting sorted. I just need to get to my appointment. I'm late for my appointment. I just. Why? Just the rudeness. There's yeah, no how need. could anybody treat a fellow human being? And a, and a woman. I'm 43 years old. 43 years. Excuse me. 43 years old. I mean, I wasn't going in. I'm. I'm very respectable. I look very well. I wasn't like. Uh, I'm just speechless. I was going to get a coffee. I just needed to use the bathroom first. Women empowering women? I don't think so in this case. Oh, 
ridiculous. Yeah. So yeah, I would never step foot in there again. All right. Okay. Do you mind if we just yeah. put in a call? Just hold on and see who they are. Why they're they, they could say to me, "We're plagued with people traipsing in and out all day, ruining the toilets, and we just have had enough of it, and we want to keep them for customers only, not people traipsing in off the street." Well, obviously, when they're after losing a customer, there, you know, I was gladly going to get a coffee. But you I clearly, just you, you, you clearly are, you know, you're. you're you're a decent person. You're a decent human being. I, right? I'm a support worker. I work in the community supporting um, vulnerable people and I help out in the community every day and there was just no need to be so rude. <sighs> Go on, you're upset enough as it is. Thank Listen, you. Thank you thank so you. much for sharing. Sorry, you're right. She's absolutely right. Have we learned nothing about kindness, particularly what we've been through? And you know what? It also raises the spectre of this long COVID that people are suffering. Vanessa would have been perfectly fine before COVID came along and, you know, amidst the consequences of COVID or is it the consequences of the vaccine? Well, that's for another day. Um, be lovely to get the response from that coffee shop, actually. I hope we have a call in with them asking why they treat people like that. This is somebody who clearly was not going to go in there and just wreck the joint or leave a mess in there. She wanted to use the loo and she was caught short. We learned nothing whatsoever in the whole world. Uh, from there then to an incredible act of kindness. Your thoughts are welcome in that, though. Uh, text 0868104106. Meanwhile, Carol, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? First of all, what do you think of that? Carry on. Oh, it's appalling. I was listening to that poor girl there and it was absolutely dreadful. It's such a personal thing, you know, and God, I won't go into the details, but clearly she said that she had an accident. That is so embarrassing and so upsetting for her. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know what, Neil? It takes nothing to be kind to somebody else. It takes absolutely nothing. And, and you know, life is hard enough, so there was absolutely no excuse for... I, I don't mean to play the sexist card here either, but a woman to do it to another woman? I mean, come on. You absolutely, think that, like, absolutely. Like, it's you know what it it shouldn't be done to anyone, regardless male or female. You know it's it's appalling, really. You know. Now um, this is completely the opposite. Tell me the entire story. Leave nothing out. It was your mam in was she in Marks and Spencer? Was it? Yes. That's correct. It was, wasn't last week. It was the week before. I uh, know. I've um, had it for a few days. My apologies for that, but go no, ahead. No, that's yeah. fine. That's yeah. fine. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, she went into Marks and Spencer's on Patrick Street. Um, I think it was the Monday or the Tuesday. And she was picking out a pants and she found one that she liked and she took it up to the lovely girl um, at the desk. And she said to her, would you mind holding that for me and I'll be back tomorrow to pay for it. So the girl was very nice. She said, no problem, I'll, I'll hold on to that for you. And so lo and behold, ma'am went away and she came back maybe, it might have been the next day, it might have been the day after. She didn't have the home. money or whatever. She said, I'm going to come back and pay for it. I don't have it with me at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So she came back to either the next day or the day after and she went up to the counter and she said, oh, I, I put away a pants a few days ago and I just want to pay for it. And the girl said to her, oh, she said, actually, she said that pants is paid for. She said, that's actually a free pants. <laughs> And that ma'am kind of says, oh, right, okay. <laughs> but unbeknownst to ma'am, the day she went in there first, there was a lovely lady behind her in the queue and she actually paid for the pants. She must have thought that ma'am didn't have any money and she just paid for it out of the goodness of her heart. She left no details, no contact name, no nothing. Um, so when ma'am was telling us the story, we um, we were kind of asking her, you know, did you see her? Were you aware of anybody behind? And she did say that there was a woman behind her who had dark hair and she was kind of 
mid maybe 50s or 60s. <laughs> I mean, when um, I heard that, your mum's 79. I'm not saying that age. Is, yeah. I'm not saying that age is important in this, but she has some amazing power of recall if she could describe the person behind her in the queue like that. <laughs> well, this this is what she said to us, but we don't have any more information. That she she said she dark hair and she was around fifty or sixty. So I just said that I'd email into you, yeah, and hopefully, yeah. if the woman is local and she was there in that time, that she might maybe if she wanted to get in contact, you can give her my number. So maybe we could put her on to now, and she could thank her. But what a wonderful, lovely, lovely thing to do! And she wanted no um, acknowledgement for it. She left no information. She just paid for it and went went on about her business and it was just so lovely. And of course the price of the pants is inconsequential but I'm sure they weren't cheap were they? I think it was 20, 22 euro 24 euro something like that. Good value in those pants then. Yeah indeed she was very happy with her uh, with her pants that she didn't have to pay for so. <laughs> Alright so and as you were saying in the email with the world in such a state of war this kind of act yes. means so much and goes a long way whomever that person is but it's a real contrast to the caller from Vanessa's situation where buy the coffee for, buy the coffee first then use the toilet. Absolutely, absolutely. And because they're like this woman, like uh, nobody, no, we don't know who she was. The girl at the counter doesn't know who she was. Like these people in that coffee shop who treated that girl like that, they're in the public eye. So, I mean, that's just uncalled for. It's just, it is a terrible thing to do to a person. Absolutely. It really is. I mean, like she's not, she's not a troublemaker. She's not going in. She doesn't, you know, not going to make trouble. She's not going to wreck the joint. How do you even tell anyway, I suppose? But that's for another day. The Marks and Spencer, where was it? Um, in, uh, on Patrick Street. Okay. So in, this in was... In town, okay. yeah. Marks and Spencer's yeah. on Patrick Street. Who paid for the pants for your 79-year-old ma'am? She'd <laughs> yeah. like to say thank you. Isn't that it? Absolutely. And us ourselves, um, because, you know, there's... for. I think if for every bad person that's in the world, there's 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 three or four good people, yeah. and things like that don't get highlighted enough, and they should. Paying it forward is getting is getting popular enough, isn't it? Usually, it's usually it's a cup of coffee or something, but like not a thirty euro pair of pants, but it's a lovely gesture nonetheless. Your Absolutely. ma'am now will have to pass that on. Does she know that she'll have to do her own act of kindness? Oh, definitely, definitely, yeah. All right, <laughs> well, let, let's see if we can find out. And I'm sure they fit and they look lovely on her, do they? Did, you know, she came down to the house and she was telling us the story and we couldn't believe it. We were gobsmacked and she tried it on and she's perfect. <laughs> so she's happy out with herself with her free pants. All right. Yeah. Okay. Um, just Neil there, just before I go, just to let you know, I know you were talking about petrol prices there and diesel prices. Oh, um, I thought I'd get away the morning without even <laughs> quoting a price of a, pint, a, a, a litre of petrol. Yeah. So the, the, I live down in uh, North Cork there in Rathcormac and we have a lovely new garage opened up there. It's opened up a few months ago. I'm not sure for petrol now because I drive a diesel car and it's 183.9. 183.9 would probably yes. make petrol somewhere around 175, 76, 77, I'd say. That's good. Possibly. Yeah, it's very, very good. So if anyone is passing through there, it's a good garage to fill your car up. What am I saying? Day. It's not good, but in consideration of what others are paying, it is good. You know, it's still, it it's you know how we become accustomed to something? We go around and say, I got, I got a litre of petrol for 180. It's fantastic. Excuse me. A couple of months ago, it was like 140, 130. What are you talking about? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, in comparison, as you said, to other places like Circle K and Texaco, it is it is quite good, 183.9, because right, I know well. it's it's over the two the two litre at some um, some petrol stations. We'll have a good look. Also. We'll have a good look at petrol prices tomorrow.
Yeah, see what kind of values to be at. Let's see if we can find that lady who did that wonderful act of kindness for your mother, okay? Lovely. That's great, Neil. Thanks so much for Not taking the call. Not at all. Love, I love those stories. Keep them coming. Thanks, Carol. So listen, if it was you or you know who it was, Carol's ma'am would just like to say thank you. And I'd like to make that possible for you to hook up so she can thank you in person or over the phone or whatever the case may be. It was a beautiful act of kindness. Talking about towns and villages around where we live, uh, my name is Dawn. I'm part of the St. Patrick's Day Parade Committee for Carrick Tool. Please, you could give us a shout out for our parade. Starts at one fifteen in Carrick Tool on Thursday. And we have prizes. €250 Euro for the best overall community float. €250 Euro for the best community float. 50 for the best dressed window. And 50 for the best dressed person. We'll have a trad band playing as well. So Carrick Tool doing its bit on Thursday. In fact, I'll drill in more to St. Patrick's Day festivities tomorrow and indeed on Wednesday. So more on the St. Patrick's Day parades tomorrow and Wednesday. For all other businesses, our lines will stay open. Uh, you can text 868 Pick up the phone on 0818104106. And if you have a story to share, you can email neil at redfm.ie. We'll pick it up in the morning. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM.